On the program today, Miranda Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Whoa, the computers ran away with us. Welcome to the program, everybody. Top of the morning to you. This is the show where we give you the tools, the information, everything you need to grow the healthier, happier life that you want to grow. You know, life is confusing. And then you go watch the news and all of a sudden you're thinking, holy cow, it even seems more confusing. Today we will be speaking uh, with an expert on Putin. I mean, how great is that? Somebody that actually has a clue about what's going on in Russia with Vladimir Putin. Vlad, we call him. He just keeps, I don't know, it seems like he just keeps stepping into another war zone and another war zone. Syria now. He was apparently not involved in the Ukraine, but apparently was. <laughs> it's like we weren't there. We had no troops in country. Really? <laughs> who? Your tanks are right here. No, 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 no. Those aren't us. We do not. It's not us. We're not doing this. What you're talking about. Marcel Van Herpen will be joining us. He is um, he's written like three books on Putin, Putin wars. I mean, he's got he's got all the information we need. So we're going to pick his brain on what really is going on with Putin and what's with the shirtless thing. Like, that's a really that's an important question. I want to find out because I'm about to go do a photo shoot. Ooh. Trying to decide if I want to go shirtless. Mm, I would probably say no. I want to go shirtless again on a horse with my abs flapping in the wind. Would a nation look upon your photo as a sign of pride and strength? Well, depends on the nation. I mean, I don't think I don't think our nation would. Okay, then I would I would go the other way and wear yeah. like a sports coat or something. That's probably it. Yeah. Because Putin's doing a lot of what he's doing because he's he's trying to, you know, enroll Russia into his vision. To, it's like national pride mixed yeah. with ego, mixed Mi- with Groundhog tanks Day and stuff. Yeah, he wants to go back, but apparently it's working. Anti-American sentiment in the in major world power is through the roof. Listen to this: a whopping seventy-one percent. Of Russians believe America plays a negative role in the modern world. 71%, which is up since 2013. In 2013, it was 50%. It's up 21% in the last year. That's crazy. What have we been doing? It must, I'm sure it's, well, I'm sure it's the Kardashians. Could be. Could you be. Think? The pro, it, this is obviously Russian citizens being polled and, the yeah. price of uh, oil has dropped, and that's their a major chunk well, of their economy, and they could think that's us. Oil's and, dropping, and vodka's going up. Could be. Horrible combination. They're mad. And I think he's stoking the fire. We'll find out. That's the other side of it, is their uh, their media there reports on it in a specific way, just like it, it's, it's done here, where our government tells us this is what happened. Yeah. Now, they're telling us in a positive way to show that the United States is doing a positive thing. Right. Now, is that what the rest of the world sees? Is that what actually happened? I don't know, because the filter we have is the PR department for the U.S. government. We, but, but we also then have, you know, a thousand media outlets that are all going to pick it apart. That too. 
Russia, they pretty much have to take the line that they're given. Yeah, a lot of state, pseudo-state-run media in, in Russia. So the message they get is... Pretty much what Putin tells them. Yeah, so so, so it's we'll, kind of interesting. We'll get into that with Marcel Van Herpen. He'll he'll be uh, talking to us everything he ever wanted to know about Putin and what's really going on in Russia. We'll we'll get to that. Speaking of you know Putinesque and Russian like strategies, did you hear about the Michigan kicker? The, yes, the guy that the punter that missed the punt he dropped the football with three seconds left. Just yes. it was oh, just. Come a, on. Yeah. All he had to do, all he had to do was catch the football and fall down. The game's over. Yeah, but he had like he, a bunch of rabid Michigan State guys that were ready to just chew his leg off. Yes. And they're coming at you. The ball's not perfectly snapped, I don't no. think. And But uh, it did hit him in the hands. I mean, if it hit so, you in the hands. I mean, the worst place possible, right, I understand. Right. Yeah, you got to grab it. <laughs> anyway, apparently Death threats. He's having death threats. People are so to finish the ball fumbled. Michigan oh, yeah. State picks it up. They run score into the a touchdown end zone. in ten seconds. Win the game. Time expires. They lose. So in in a just a matter of seconds, Michigan goes from winning the game to losing the game, and fans are most incensed. important game in the history of the world. The battle of the brothers for Michigan. that for that week. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but now uh, the athletic director Jim Hackett is basically saying, hey, let's no more death threats. Yeah, let's back off the death threats, people. Can you imagine? You're just a punter. I just want an education. That's all I came here for. He's from Australia. I know. He actually took a little journey through Utah and Weber State. Yes, he apparently. did. Yes, he did. But yeah, he's from Australia, so people are telling him to go home. Oh, what are you doing here? Come on. You know, that kind of stuff. It's just a game. He even, I mean... If you watch the the replay, he he picked up the football yeah. at one point, turned, and tried to kick it the other way. Just do anything just to get, get rid, rid of, of this ball. football, and right. he just got clobbered. So, and everyone's you know, you just should have landed on it. It would have taken whatever five seconds off the clock or whatever. Maybe it doesn't. Clock doesn't run when you're kicking. There down. were yeah, I think it does. There were six guys that were trying to yeah remove his head from his shoulder. So I mean, he was under duress. <laughs> well, and apparently it continues. So what are we? Now we're going to have death threats? Come on. This isn't a new thing. No. Every year, a college football player does something ridiculous and the fan base goes after him. Every year, some punter's life is in jeopardy. It happens to be a punter who people think is the most worthless position on the field unless it's not the most worthless. Unless Unless you are saving the game. game. Exactly. (laughs) Folks, come on. Come on! Take care of each other. Anyway, I don't know what you say, but... Our prayers go out to the Michigan punter. That's just scary. I mean, how do you walk on campus? Somebody, let's just say homeschool. Homeschool? He's going to be homeschooled now. It's tragic. It's just a game. Star Wars had their big trailer announcement during the big game last night. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I jumped on right yeah. after it aired. Yeah. Oh, you missed it. We yeah, saw I was, it. I don't, you don't need to watch it live. It, it, it's on your computer in like 10 seconds. My kids were enthralled. They loved it. My yeah. one son said, I got chills. Wow. And I, I said, shut the window. Yeah. There's an open window right next to it. It's like it's a movie. It's, but yeah, so it aired, and I jumped on to find it on YouTube, and uh, 
what it had like thirty two thousand views. Oh, is that all? And then in I that watched one minute. Then I watched it like three times. It had one hundred thousand views. Yeah. And I looked at this morning. It has thirty two million views. Oh boy! You know, it seems a lot like a Star Wars movie. Yes, it does. There's like stuff flying around, things blowing up, yeah. robots. A lot of people you don't know. Right. That's cool. Whatever. I don't know that it warrants that song. Why not? I think it's a day of celebration. Mm. And tomorrow, tomorrow's another day of celebration. What? Back to the future day. Hallelujah. Wow. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Actually, back to the future two day, but. Hallelujah. Wow. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Geeks unite. It's a big week. So we'll talk about that tomorrow. Okay, good. Any other headlines, Terry? Yes, absolutely. Quite a, quite a few headlines. The FBI and Secret Service are investigating reports that the personal email accounts of CIA, CIA Director John Brennan and Department of Homeland Security Secretary uh, Jay Johnson were hacked. In an interview with the New York Post, the alleged teenage hacker claims to have accept, accessed uh, Brennan's AOL account, which is, I mean, he's on AOL. Wow. Uh, which includes files regarding his security clearance and a Comcast account associated with Johnson. CNN reports that it does not appear any classified material had been compromised. CBS reports that the person behind the attack claims to be the leader of a six-man team who will next target a top official of the Pentagon. Mm. The hacker hacker is said to be motivated by opposition to U.S. foreign policy and in support of Palestine. I wonder if Bernie has any feelings about those emails. Maybe. Not sure. Okay. Just checking. (laughs) Vice President Joe Biden will enter the 2016 presidential race, according to Fox News. Oh, Fox Fox is breaking it? Yes. Their White House correspondent's like, I have inside information. Wow. Three anonymous sources confirm the news to Henry. There is no indication as to when. Uh, others outlets have also reported that he'll likely make an announcement within the next 48 hours. The Washington Post accidentally published a story last night saying that Joe Biden is running. And then took it and off their website off. saying, sorry, we... We also have a Joe Biden is not running story in the in the in the waiting, but you know. Wow, just in case. Yeah, we, that was a computer error. I apologize. Uh, Texas has decided to completely cut Planned Parenthood funding from Medicaid coverage after several manipulated videos alleged the organization was involved in fetal tissue sales. Wow. The state has determined that that you and your Planned Parenthood affiliates are no longer capable of performing medical services in a professionally competent, safe, legal, and ethical manner, reads the letter sent to Planned Parenthood from the state of Texas. Mm. In neighboring Louisiana, a federal judge blocked the state that state's effort to cut the group's funding by issuing a temporary restraining order requiring the state to continue providing funding to the group's medical clinic for the next two weeks as the legal fight over payments continues. Yeah, that's going to get ugly. Yeah. As it continues, Hillary Clinton still needs to secure the Democratic nomination, but one Republican already has a plan for her impeachment in place if she wins the 2016 general election. Recent talk show interview with Representative Mo Brooks from Alabama vowed that he would make sure Clinton's email issues would follow her to the Oval Office and cut her time there short. In my judgment, with respect to Hillary Clinton, she will be a unique president if she is elected by the uh, public next November because the day she's sworn in is the day that she'll be subject to impeachment because she has committed high crimes and misdemeanors. Uh, <laughs> Mo, so come we're gonna, on, Mo. We're going to elect her and impeach her the same day. We're yeah. put her in office and then impeach. So okay. look, for, look forward to that. There's yeah, that sounds like a great week. And uh, Apple... <clears throat> 
excuse me, Apple announced it has removed hundreds of apps from the iTunes App Store that have secretly collected personal information from anyone who downloaded them. Hmm. Most of the uh, 256 affected apps were made in China, but they were available worldwide on the App Store and were downloaded over a million times. The apps went beyond Apple's rules for collecting data on users and were designed to hide that info gathering from Apple. Scary. Yeah. Oh, the list? Do we have a list? I've looked at the list. I think I've only used two or three. So and they only have most of your data. And if they have my data, yeah, great. It's China. But it's stuff like serial code numbers on your phone and which browser you use and just oh, really sort of yeah. evasive stuff going way beyond what Apple does. Yeah, Apple sure. collects stuff that has to do with is the device performing right, right, that kind of thing. And these guys were trying to gather all these marketing data, and they just didn't like that. So Apple just shut them down. Just took them off. I got to go get the list because I'm pretty sure I got half of them. That's just how I roll. Hey, we're going to take a break, my friends. When we come back, we're going to be talking about Vladimir Putin. What is going on with him? Why is he so gung-ho about getting into Syria? I mean, really, is his real goal to stop ISIS? I don't think so. We're going to be talking to an expert on Vladimir Putin, Marcel Van Herpen, who's the author of the book Putin's Wars, The Rise of Russia's New Imperialism. Uh, Marcel Van Herpen will be joining us, giving us the insight we need to, uh, to know what's going on around the world. Stick with us, folks. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, today we are speaking about uh, Vladimir Putin, and we've got an expert on the phone who is going to give us the insight I think we need. Uh, you know, with recent attacks in Ukraine and Syria, all eyes are on Russia and their leader, Vladimir Putin, beginning with his election as prime minister in 1999 and his subsequent power since Putin has been flexing Russia's military muscle. According to our guest today, Marcel Van Herpen, Russia has deliberately launched two wars after coming to power in 1999, and those successes have led to his current invasion in Ukraine. So why exactly is Putin expanding Russia's military presence, and what does this mean for the future of Russia-U.S. relations? Marcel uh, Van Herpen, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Yes, hello. Good good morning. Good morning. Great to speak to you, and uh, and thank you for joining us, because uh, for thank me— for inviting me. I mean, it really is—and it's a, it's a, I, I don't know that the West understands, really, what's going on with Vladimir Putin. Uh, many wars since 1999, but um, also now this new interest in Syria and— um, and so, so just enlighten us. What what would you say? What what's going on? Why is why is Putin so interested? Uh, I guess to begin with, now in Syria and Ukraine, and um, and and what do we need to understand in order to understand what's really going on with Vladimir Putin? Yes, I think that the war now going on in Syria is more of a sideshow for Putin. So the real show is, is, is in Ukraine, and I think, uh, well, he has a, a big obsession himself with Ukraine, as I described in my book, uh, Putin's Wars. Um, 
in fact, he has never accepted the existence of a sovereign and independent state, the Ukraine, uh, which was a part of, of the Soviet Union. So I think what has happened in 1991, we have seen the demise of the Soviet Union and the end of Russian imperialism, we thought, in fact, it was a decolonization process, like many European countries uh, went through. Right. And uh, Russia lost 25% of its territory. But if you look at it, the British Empire lost 99% of its colonial territory. So, uh, and that was it. Russia has never accepted the decolonization of its empire. And it wants to recolonize. And I think if you look already in 1917, in the period after the Soviet Revolution, uh, Ukraine was independent. And uh, then it was recaptured, recaptured by, uh, by Soviet Russia. So I think that's a problem in Russia. It is mm. a, a country that decolonizes and recolonizes. So, so really that's what... Putin is doing is he's just trying to recolonize. He's trying to get back yeah. this united Russia. Yeah, that's it. Wow, and he's but he's doing it. Yeah, I guess he has to do it by war. I guess Chechnya is is that what he's doing and now Ukraine's the next version of that. Yes, if you look to Ukraine, so there uh, well he used an other other measures than in in Chechnya. Chechnya was a real uh, genocide. Uh, about uh, 15% of the population, civil population, was killed. Oh. And in Ukraine, it has another uh, strategy. And his strategy there is of the, uh, the hybrid war. So, in fact, he is hiding that he is, he is uh, making war there. And right. He is pretending it to be a civil, a civil war between two Ukrainian parties. And, and, then, and then they shoot down an airliner, right? They shoot down an airliner, and we find yeah, out it was a Russian airliner. I mean, it was a Russian missile, I guess, that shot it. But he's saying that this is just a war going on between rebels and Ukrainians. Yes. Yeah, so the MH17, if you look to that, it it's, uh, was launched. Uh, the, the, the missile was launched by the book. And the book launching is, is, is a very complicated uh, machine where and it can only be handled by, by professional soldiers who have uh, had a, a training for two mm. years. Oh, wow. And these were certainly Russians. Right. And there, were, there are also pictures made that we saw uh, that the, the book was entering Ukraine. So there is no doubt about that, that there is a... Uh, a Russian guilt, and I think that even the Kremlin itself is responsible. Now, is is this is this Vladimir Putin just has a he just has a love of going to war, and or is he is he doing this because this is what his people want, or is he creating the want in his people to do this? Which is who leads this? Is Vladimir leading this to happen, or are the people demanding it? Well, it's some kind of a, 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 a reciprocal process. In fact, what is happening now that uh, because of the sanctions, things are going bad economically in right. Russia. And, uh, well, to deflect attention, he is making war. Okay. And because of the, let's say, the, the information war also inside Russia with Russian television, uh, 
uh, it's possible for the Kremlin to, well, to have a real war psychosis inside Russia. And the Russians really, at this moment, feel themselves encircled by NATO, by the United States. That is the story what is told by, by, by the Kremlin on TV on a daily basis. Hmm. And it's interesting that today, it's a coincidence, uh, is the launch of my new book, Putin's Propaganda Machine, where, in which I describe what is happening with the propaganda inside Russia and also in Europe. Wow. So really, he's, it's, he, he, does, he does go to war as a distraction. So we could probably assume his, his work in Syria might be a distraction so that he can go do other th- or maybe even a distraction for his people that he can use a lot of propaganda and show how strong militarily they are. Yes, indeed. And I think, well, I said in the beginning that Syria for him is a sideshow. Of course, he wants to maintain his, his warm water port in Syria and to, uh, to support the, the regime of Assad. But for the rest, in fact, it's a sideshow. The real show is going on in Ukraine. And I think he is also, at the moment, uh, he is testing his, his, his air force and new weapon systems inside uh, Syria in, in, in a war situation. Mm. And that will be useful for him when he thinks that he could attack Ukraine. Because in Ukraine, he is not ready. We think it's a frozen conflict at the moment. It's frozen for the moment because you, uh, because Putin has decided to do so. Yeah. But he can uh, start again at any moment. Wow. And he's is he, I guess, wh- where does this end? Is Ukraine his end play, or are there many other countries that need to be recolonized? No, if you look so, one of your questions was, in fact, if he wants to restore the Soviet Union. Yeah. He does not want to restore the Soviet Union because he does not want to incorporate in the Russian Federation the Central Asian countries because these are Muslim countries. Okay. He wants to restore the Slavic corn, uh, the, uh, the Slavic core, that means Ukraine and Belarus. Belarus, he has already proposed in 2003 to come back inside the Russian Federation as six provinces. Hmm. But this was uh, refused by Lukashenko. Why Why would they want to come back right now, like Belarus, why would they naturally want to come back if if it's not looking good in Russia, if the economies... Uh, no, they don't want to go back. Nobody... <laughs> so nobody, nobody wants, wants to, go to go back. Back inside Russia. So they're being pressured the, back the in. This, huh? They're being pressured back. He wants to pressure them back. Yes, yeah. that's it. Wow. And is he, is he uh, I, I guess the people, though, are they not getting the fact that underneath Putin there are sanctions and the economy is not doing well? Are the people pushing back against Putin at all? Uh, well, not yet. Uh, the people are really suffering. So, uh, in, in fact, uh, yesterday there was an interview with the heads of the presidential administration, who said himself that it's, Russia was really hit by the sanctions. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but that's the reason the more for Putin to attack abroad to deflect attention. Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, so it's just distraction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, let's do this. We're speaking with Marcel Van Herpen, who is the author of uh, many books. Uh, in fact, a new book out, Putin's Propaganda, is just, being, is just being released today. Is that right, Marcel? Yes. Putin's Propaganda is 
Putin's propaganda machine. Machine, and then um, and then he's got three other books. I mean, really, everything you ever need to know on Putin has been written by Marcel Van Herpen. And um, from Putin Wars is is one book. He's got other books on Putin. Let's take a break. Come back. Continue this discu- this discussion with author Marcel Van Herpen, and uh, continue to learn what we can about. What's going on now? The propaganda war. When you think about it, when you think of seventy-one percent is a is a number we just found in the news. Seventy-one percent of Russians feel like uh, Americans play a generally negative role in the modern world. I'm going to bet that has something to do with Putin's propaganda machine. Um, we'll take a break. Come back. Ask Marcel about that. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, you've heard so many stories uh, in the news about uh, Vladimir Putin, um, some of the interchanges and exchanges with uh, with Barack Obama, some of the tension that was felt uh, recently in some of their uh, meetings. Also, just, just examples or stories of Russian submarines popping up all over the place. It's he's he's an interesting character. Vladimir Vladimir Putin is. And we wanted to talk to somebody that uh, that understands really what's going on, I guess, more in his head and more in his activities. So we found Marcel Van H. Van Herpen, Marcel H. Van Herpen, who is the author of a bunch of books. One book that is just being released today, Putin's Propaganda Machine. Um, Soft Power and Russian for Russian Foreign Policy. He's also the author of Putin's Wars and um, is is here today on the phone to talk to us about uh, what's going on with Vladimir Putin. Marcel Van Herpen, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Yes, hello. Great to have you back and um, t- talk to us a little bit more about about what what is he like? I mean, he has. Vladimir Putin has a history of, of being um, an intelligence officer, right, in Russia. He, he, he's been the president. He served his terms as president when that couldn't happen anymore and he couldn't go for another term. He became prime minister and then is back to president again. He's changing the rules. He's changing the propaganda tools in Russia. What, what really is going on, uh, Marcel, in his head? What's going on in his head? I think he sees himself, considers himself as a providential man sent by by providence and 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 God himself to save Russia. Hmm. And there's also the, his surroundings uh, that are making declarations like this. He is a real providential man for Re- Russia, restoring the empire that was destroyed by Gorbachev. So that's the idea, and I think also his personal idea of his, 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 his vocation in, in the world. He, he, he wants, he, he, he's, he sees himself as somebody that will go push Russia's agenda, you know, recolonize Russia, bring back what Gorbachev had taken away, but then go make an impact in the world. 
Yes, that's it. And, well, not really restoring, as I said, the Soviet Union, yeah. because it does not right. want back the Central Asian republics. Now, let me ask you about that. Is He doesn't want the Central Asian uh, republics because they tend to be more Muslim-based. Is that... Is 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 that a, a racially kind of driven thing? Is it is it a religious thing for him, or is it uh, he just wants the original Russia? Yes, it's very interesting because officially there is no state racism in Russia because it would be very stupid because twenty percent of Russians at this moment are Muslims, hmm. so it would be very bad and it would uh, bring civil civil uh, war. So, in fact, officially there is no uh, no racism, but racism is everywhere in Russian society. It's one of the most racist societies in the world. Hmm. And also, uh, Putin has made several really racist remarks in, in smaller circles. But officially there is no racism. Yeah. Well, I guess back to the propaganda machine, right? Yeah. There's no racism except Chechnya... Uh, has, a, has a large amount of, of Muslims, and 50% of those were killed. Yes, I think if Chechnya would have been a Slavic country, an Orthodox country, the, the war would have been totally different. So they, they have really, uh, they were exterminated. It was huh. a real uh, a genocide. Do, do the people support Putin? Is there still high support for him? Well, in Russia? Yeah. Yes, at this moment it's uh, between 70 and 80 percent. Wow. But the problem is it, it, things can change uh, very, very quick. Yeah. The problem is only that at this moment uh, television and the press is in the hands of the Kremlin, and now they are also uh, tightening the screws on the Internet, hmm. because the Internet is still uh, reasonably free. Where do you see this going, uh, Marcel? Because... I mean, this has the makings and the markings of some pretty bad things. Yes. Uh, well, in my first book, it's called Putinism. I have uh, made a comparison with Mussolini fascism. Hmm. And there are many, many traits in Putinism that reminds one of, of fascism. So, in fact, it's a new 21st century form of fascism. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's, it seems like we're well on the way. I mean, we have also heard of, um, of other poisonings that have gone on with uh, people yeah. that were going against Putin in elections. Yeah. And... yeah. So there are political murders. Uh, there are a lot of murders in general already. And uh, well, well, what he's doing, in fact, is uh, also abroad. It's bribing politicians is one of his, uh, his, his, his uh, means that he uses. Hmm. Yeah, and he if gets... If you look to, especially in the, in the former Soviet space. And then he gets and them then, on his side, and he now owns the, the, the Politburo, right? He owns the political world. Yeah, yeah. So he just does it by bribery, by coercion, by force, by fear. means uh, to influence the, the world and to, 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 to have his project fulfilled. Talk about your new book, Putin's Propaganda Machine. Um, has he just shut down the open press then? You say he's working on tightening up the Internet so he can control the Internet in Russia more. Um, what else is he doing in propaganda to control the, the, the thought stream of the people? 
Yes, if you look, so uh, you have already RT, what you can see on television in hotels in the United States. You have Sputnik, you have Russia Beyond the Headlines. These are, uh, well, uh, 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 papers sold with, uh, with uh, official papers in, in Europe. Um, you have, they even buy Western papers here in France. There was a paper, Francois, who was bought by Pugachev, a friend of Putin. Mm. And this, this paper, Francois, was uh, supporting the Front National because they have the same ideology. Yeah. And they are Putin friendly. Wow. So, I mean, it's happening. Is he, uh, one of the things I remember reading about probably a year ago was that. He he also has a lot of money personally. He's somehow taken yeah. a lot of money. Talk about that. Well, there is an estimate of, of about 40 billion uh, euros uh, personal possessions. Oh, my heavens. Uh, the, well, these are rumors. But interesting is that one of his, uh, his friends, of, uh, of his judo friends of uh, St. Petersburg, Mr. Timchenko, he has become the head of Gunvor. Gunvor is a company with two directors. One is his best friend from, uh, from St. Petersburg. And this was a non-existing thing without any profit. And now they, they sell uh, oil to the West, uh, Russian oil, and for, for billions of dollars. Yeah. And so the Economist has written about it and said that it was siphoned off uh, money for Putin, and then Putin attacked, and it was uh, forbidden to say that Putin owns a part of, of Gunvor, but it does not take away that it's possible that Gunvor uh, pays money to Putin. Yeah. Without being a, uh, the, the owner. Is, um, it seems like, too, I always had this impression of Russia that, you know, once it was kind of opened up, that a lot of the business people were sharp, smart business men and women that knew how to make a buck and were aggressive. Um, so how what's going on with all of them? All of a sudden, as this is closing down, I'm assuming a lot of their empires are being absorbed by Putin. What's interesting is that in the 1990s, you had some kind of a wild privatization. Yeah. And these were well, old managers, uh, people of the Communist Party. But there was one group that well, was, was lost, in fact, in that period. This was the old KGB and army officers. And in fact, what Putin has done is that he took the, the companies away from the first generation of oligarchs and gave it to his friends. Oh, wow. So now it's the KGB, the former KGB, is, 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 is in charge. They, so, yeah, he's given all the businesses to the former KGB, his his inner circle. A little bit many. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So it's it's pretty – it's it's falling apart uh, for the people there. They're, they're starting to they're, – they're starting to suffer, or they yeah, are suffering. And, well, very interesting is that uh, George Bush said, I looked in, uh, yeah. in, in, in Putin's eyes and I saw, well, I, part of his soul – uh, McCain at that time said, uh, I looked in Putin's eyes and I saw a K, a G, a, a B. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that, it, it's so interesting how, 
um, how how we can kind of recreate history. Here we go, fascism, yeah. but Putinism, and yeah. um, and it's back. What do you see? Is I mean, is there anything that you see that the United States should be doing, could be doing, to 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 yeah. step in? Look to the, the future of U.S. Russian relations. I think the future is bleak, mm. and we should have no illusions. And I think the problem with Obama's policy has been too many illusions, and especially the reset policy was, was a big disaster, in yeah. my opinion. Yeah. What we should have done is to be very strict uh, with Putin. And we have not been strict enough, not in Syria, with the, the red line, the famous red line. And we have the consequences today. If you are not strict uh, in the past, then the, the problems come in the future. Yeah. Well, that was one of the big moments in the debate with Obama and Mitt Romney is when they asked who they thought was the biggest threat to America, and Mitt Romney said Putin and Russia, and yeah. and it was yeah. laughed at. Everybody just laughed at it, and he, he was right. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> when you hear right. it, I and mean, especially yeah. when you hear it with your direct your directness, Marcel. I think it's a beautiful job you're doing in trying to uncover this. Do you ever fear? For your life, I mean, you're opening up a lot of can of worms here. You're opening up a lot of information. Uh, well, I get uh, some Twitter messages who are not really friendly. I bet. I say at the least. Yeah. Well, and how do you do your research? Uh, well, very quietly. I bet you do. You do you go to Russia? Uh, not, not, not at the moment. Yeah, good. And I'm not invited today. It's the Valdai conference. And for me, it's a Putin fan, fan club. Okay. Is it? Yeah. You don't want to go. Yeah. Uh, that's not. Uh, I, well, I'm not invited anyway. Well, and thank heavens, because you might not come back. <laughs> Maybe. Well, um, I appreciate your insight. Anything else that um, you think that we could do? So, one thing we should do is is just be stronger, not be not have the delusion from, yeah, as Americans that, that that they're going to be workable. I guess. Yeah, and I think it was a good thing that uh, Medvedev was not. Uh, not going to uh, uh, to to Washington. Yeah, that Obama refused to 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 see him. That was a good move then. Anyway, that's a good move. Do you sense that what what do you sense the U.S.'s position should be with Putin in Syria? Because this that just seems yeah. crazy. It's a real quickfire, and the problem is that Putin is attacking not uh, ISIS, but is attacking the the other ones. Uh, Right, the free Syrian army. So I think, uh, yeah, we have to handle with care. So it's uh, it's a very difficult situation. But anyway, I don't think that that Putin is is going very far there because for him it is it remains a sideshow. Yeah, it's just taking uh, the attention away from Ukraine. Yeah, and in Ukraine, I'm quite sure he will start again, and I. I suppose it will happen in January, February again. He'll start up in Ukraine. There will be there will be elections, illegal elections in the Donbas region, and that will legitimize, uh, so-called legitimize the the, the 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 regime in Donbas. And uh, I think that that will go on and go on. Yeah. Well, that's the next step. No, I, I think I can totally see that and. And I guess the key to this is we America's got to kind of wake up and treat him as he is. Yes. He's a threat. Yes. And I mean I guess and the no sanctions reason. also work apparently because it's it's creating a lot of tension at home. Sorry? 
the sanctions that the U.S. and others have put on Russia yes. are creating yeah, some. Very good. Yeah. Okay. They, well, they work. Yeah. Well, Marcel, we appreciate you and your great work. Good luck with your new book out uh, today. Again, his name is Marcel H. Van Herpen. The book is Putin's Propaganda Machine. Also, uh, a couple of other books to go look for, Putin's Wars and Putin's uh, and Putinism, The Slow Rise of a Radical Right Regime in Russia. Wow. Folks, if that doesn't scare you, that um, I don't know what will. Isn't it amazing? History repeating itself. And again, we sit by and watch. I mean, really, it's complicated. What are you supposed to do? I guess one thing you shouldn't do is laugh at the thought of Russia being a threat. They're a pretty serious threat. Um, We'll take a break, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Man, crazy interview there with Marcel uh, H. Van Herpen. Just so many things scared me about what we're learning. And, you know, I guess people know this, right? Yeah. I mean, there's a reason Barack Obama didn't meet with with, uh, Putin. There's a reason it didn't go down. But it's about time. Folks, this is the beginning of, you know, World War II again, remember? This is the beginning of a Hitler, a a person that believes he's chosen of God. By providence, he's in that space. He believes he's there to free and reunite uh, Russia, just the Slavic Russia. Not not the Russia that has Muslims in it. I mean, scary. Possible racism, except nobody knows because you're not allowed to talk about it. Except he's made comments. We're talking about Putin, by the way. Obviously, ruggedly good looking. Likes to go shirtless, ride horses. Likes to show his power, his strength. Takes companies, you know, nationalized industries, takes the companies from the owners and gives them to his KGB friends. Man, does that not scare you? And now we've invited him to help us with Syria. But really, according to our guest, that's just to go distract everybody, to give Putin a chance to, you know, test his weaponry. And prepare, apparently, for Ukraine, they believe, in January. <sighs> Bribing politicians, possibly worth about $40 billion, but nobody knows. Leaders dying all over the place. You know, no competition, owns all the propaganda. Does that sound familiar? If we don't learn from history, we're doomed to repeat it. And amazingly, I will bet five, ten years or less, we're going to all look at Russia and Putin and be like, no way are we back there again. 
Isn't that crazy? And meanwhile, we all just sit here. And Mitt Romney makes a crazy remark. Who, clueless Mitt Romney had no clue. But nailed it. Nailed it. We now have an old superpower with, a, with nuclear weapons and other things. And they're basically fascist and or inventing their own version of it. They're Putinists, according to our guest. Anyway, interesting. Scary. Scary. So what are you supposed to do about it? You know what? Be informed. Read. Get informed. Uh, choose politicians that are informed. We worry about a lot of stuff that maybe isn't the big problem we need to be facing or worrying worrying about. So anyway, that's the first hour of the Matt Townsend Show. I know it's intense, but trying to give you the information you need so that you're at least informed. We'll take a break. We'll come back next hour. More tools, more ideas to help you create the world you need, the life you need for your family. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. We do what we can on this show every day, three hours a day, to help you create a healthier life for you and your family. You know, we don't just give you the news. We also go in depth on the news and give you the information you need to uh, to take it to your family, to grow healthier, happier lives, live longer, love stronger, and lead, uh, lead the people you're with. So welcome to the program. We can't do the show without you. By the way, if you, if you miss one of our segments, because we do this for three hours, and I'm sure you're on your way to work, right? So all you got to do is go to iTunes or TuneIn. Those are two apps you can go find that'll just download the podcast, and you can you you don't miss anything. Last hour we talked about Putin, and I'm telling you, folks, uh, it's it's scary. Putin is Putin's becoming the next uh, what Stalin? I don't know. That might be his his goal. I know Stalin is is greatly respected in that country because he was strong. Strong. Granted, he did you know send a bunch of people to death. And how, how did Stalin look on a horse with his shirt off? I don't know. He had a big mustache. Yeah, big mustache. So probably pretty good on a horse. I think Stalin invented the handlebar mustache. Could be. Anyway, uh, th- go go check that out. It was a great interview. Learned a lot of sc- actually quite scary things. Uh, today, uh, in this hour, we've got something, I think, uh, a little lighter for you. You may have heard the studies that say if you sit too much, which most of us do now because we go to jobs where we sit, um, you're, if you sit too much, you're going to die. Sitting equals death. So... You know, there's a lot of studies out there saying it's taking years off your life. You may as well be smoking cigarettes than sitting sedentary. We're going to find out the truth. Alan Hedge will be joining us 
and uh, he's he's an expert on the subject, and we're going to to find out really is sitting that big of a deal. Come on, but you know our our ancient ancestors wouldn't just sit at a you know sedentary all day; they'd have to chase their food, their food, right? They'd have to catch it. They'd have to then bring it back the miles they chased it. Mine's already prepared at the grocery store, so yeah. You can just sit in your car. You can drive up. You don't even have to go to the grocery store. You can just drive through a window, say, yeah, supersize it. Well, up to the window. Yeah, don't through drive through the window it. would be a different. Painful. Yeah. Super painful. So, I, I have a story. We'll either get to it today or tomorrow. Yeah. Woman taking a driver's education course. Yeah. Her final, you, you take the driver's test right. to get your license. Then you got to sit in that car. Right. She drove the car through the front door of the driver's ed Oh, facility. Wow. So I don't know. If she, she. I don't know if she passed or not. <laughs> Is this where I park it? She might need some help on braking. <laughs> Go. That's we'll, where I'm we'll, park we'll get it. to it. It's funny. That's great. Uh, that's why I always remain seated, please. Absolutely. Whenever I drive to the DMV, yeah, I'm always watching the front because you never know. Hey, um, so we'll be talking with Dr. Alan Hedge in just a moment. Uh, healthy living at work. How do you know? How to, how to make it through it. you got to hear this story, though, because this lady, this principal, apparently has already heard the research that you're going to die if you sit. A Bronx principal ordered her teachers to give up their desks last week and had the furniture dumped at the curb, telling staff she doesn't want them sitting in class. Donna Connolly, principal of PS24, also told teachers to empty their filing cabinets, which she then discarded. With class in session, teachers were told to push their desks and cabinets into the hallways. Holy cow. Yeah, this wasn't before school or after no, school. It was right middle, in the middle of class. class. I mean, you know, you could be teaching or clear out your junk, get your cabinets out of there, get your, your desks out of there. Uh, custodians then hauled all of their goods outside, piled them like trash on the blacktop of the school across the street. Conley told the teacher she does not want them sitting. An insider said, although no chairs were tossed, but you're not sitting. Figure it out. She snapped when staffers asked where to store their supplies, a source said. That's a good leadership tactic. Instead figure of answer, it out. Instead of answering the question, just yell, figure it out. You're a monster. You're enabling your, your, your employees to, to be the, the employee you want them to be. They're growing. Hey, work, work the problem. Work the problem. Where where do we grade our papers? Use the lunchroom. Just use the wall. It's the 21st century. Use the lunchroom. You don't need desks. <laughs> use your phone. Well, actually, my legs are tired and I need to sit down so I can meet with a parent here. Stand on your phone. I don't know what the 21st century thing has to do with it. Yeah. Do you think the principal just had a bad day? I think the principal... Lost it. And this isn't a, we're going to replace all the desks no. with standing desks. I mean, that would make sense. This is a no-desk policy. I mean, there is great research to say if you stood more, it's healthier. I mean, our our very, where we do the show, you can stand and it's perfect height. Now, this standing. is great. I, I've worked at uh, several radio stations and they all have the wrong height That's right. to do this. So now you can stand. You, don't, you never even sit down. No, I hate sitting I down. have to pace myself. Well, that in our chair tries to kill every guest yeah. that we bring in here. So We have a deadly chair. It's very dangerous. Um, so we'll be speaking on that in just a few minutes. But before we do that, let's uh, get to Terry South on the headlines. Terry? 
Good morning. Hillary Clinton has increased her lead over Bernie Sanders in the wake of the first Democratic debate, now besting the Vermont senator by at least 20 points among Democratic primary voters, according to a new NBC Wall Street Journal poll. The same poll has Trump at 25 percent, Carson at 22 percent, followed by Marco Rubio at 13, Ted Cruz at 9 among primary voters. Carly Fiorita dropped six places to 7 percent, and in September she was tied for third at 11 so she's dropping off. Why is she dropping? Not sure. Find out. See what happens. In a stunning victory, as it says, I wouldn't know, it's Canada, liberal leader Justin Trudeau will follow in his father's footsteps as serves prime minister of Canada as of last night. The liberals, the liberals, Uh-oh, the were, were elected or leading in 188 seats in the lower house of parliament, 18 more than needed to form a majority government. The sweep marks the end of nine years of conservative rule, and Trudeau will become the second youngest prime minister in Canadian history. Hmm. He, he does look young. He's dapper. He's a dapper guy. He's a guy. nice dresser. It's a, it's a new day in Canada. A new day. As they continue to amass on the border for a potential <laughs> invasion of the U.S. Um, no, I just made that up. Yeah. No, there's no, nobody is amassing on the border. <laughs> but if you look, there are entire populations on the border. They're teaming up with Russia. There you go. Oh. That's what it may turn into. The FBI looking into an anonymous hacker's claim that he gained access to CIA Director John Brennan's private email account and Homeland Security Secretary Jay Johnson's Comcast account. He went on Twitter, the uh, teenage hacker, and bragged about it. He then posted documents apparently that included a list of Social Security and phone numbers of U.S. senior national security officers, a log uh, of calls made by a former CIA deputy director, and email contacts from Brennan's AOL account. Hmm. The attack is reportedly motivated by opposition to U.S. foreign policy and support of Palestine. So yeah, his uh, Twitter account, which now has been closed because Twitter does that now, Yeah, they, uh, he put up a uh, graphic and it had an entire list of names and social security and phone numbers. You go, see, I did it. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like it seems like it would be harder to to you know hack the CIA director's email. Well, but, but then you find out it's AOL. Yeah, and you're like, oh, okay. Well, it said something about um, the teenager called Verizon <laughs> and convinced them that he was a security technician and needed access to this account. Wow. And then they gave him the passwords, and he just got right in. Verizon. So, I don't know if it's much about your interests. It's not much about hacking, other than just lying to people. And hacking sounds like you're using your computer or yeah, breaking no. through network security. Instead, you just called someone and they he, gave you access. He used so. his people skills. He did. That's great. <laughs> Interesting. So we'll see if that uh, continues to roll out. It probably will. Rest assured that the next time some state-sponsored hackers go after your personal information on Facebook, the show, social networking giant will give you a heads up. Good. So they'll let you know. If like uh, North Korea is trying to break into your Facebook, okay, wow. They posted a Facebook posted a public message Friday evening informing users that they will be notified at any point in the future if the site believes their account has been targeted or compromised by an attacker suspected of working on behalf of a nation state. Hmm. But so if you're being hacked by like Larry, your neighbor, not yes. they're not going to say anything. Some teenage guy down the street. But if eh, a nation states after you, if it's yeah. a nation state, Facebook said users whose accounts are suspected of being under attack will receive a notification informing them of the potential state-sponsored hack and offering them an option of turning on login approvals to block users on other devices from accessing their account. Hmm. Similar to something that Google did with Gmail a few yeah. years ago. Right. Uh, so I they're catching well, up. Will that get lost in all the other notifications? Oh yeah. You know your games, and you know your yeah. your mom wants to talk to you about <laughs> something, or 
Yeah, I have a feeling it's going to get lost. And uh, Weight Watchers International, their share soared 80, 86% Monday morning on the news that uh, Oprah Winfrey paid $43 million acquiring a 10% stake in the diet company. Oprah. She's on their board of directors now. Smart. And uh, their soars went through the roof. The, the the Russian investors drove the share price up to twelve dollars sixty cents. So we're not like it's not yeah. crazy, but it did go up uh, significantly. It said uh, following a long decline in sales and revenue that previously had the stock down seventy two percent over the year. Well, what's amazing though, so Oprah can buy it ten percent of the company, you know, pump it up with her media power, then sell her shares in five years. Yes, sell high and then <laughs> bail and then run. Yeah. That's great. Oprah. Atta girl. That's great. Oprah, helping us all get a little healthier. Uh, We are going to take a break. When we come back, Dr. Alan Hedge will be joining us. Um, He is an expert that has uh, been researching extensively the whole idea of, is sitting too much killing you? You know, many of us go to work and you just sit in your little cubicle and do your little job and you just sit there all day. And every once in a while you get a break, you go get a drink of water, uh, you know, a little biscuit, and you go back to work like a good Clydesdale. And so when you think about it, um, we want to know the truth. What does, what should we be doing? How much, how much time should we be standing in our offices? Do we maybe need to do, learn to do some of our work standing? Um, I've seen a lot, in fact, people in our very own office have standing desks where they can elevate their desk and stand there and do the work they've got to do. So there's power, folks, and uh, maybe it's time to start looking at your health when it comes to your workplace. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Dr. Alan Hedge on Sitting Too Much. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Get up, stand up. I, I think this is—I think this had a different meaning. Anyway, hey, uh, have you ever heard? Um, especially recently, there's a lot of studies out that said that talk about the fact that sitting too long, being sedentary too long, um, it, it it has its consequences. Right? There's a price to pay, and. Uh, it actually also can be a cause for for numerous, um, you know, diseases and other pro- and and disorders and other problems with your health. So we got to start moving apparently a little bit more. But how do you do that while you've also got to work? Well, joining us um, is is a, a, an expert on the subject. Dr. Alan Hedge is joining us from Cornell University. And uh, some of the new research is showing that medical experts are trying to devise formulas for how long a typical office worker should spend sitting and standing. The studies have found that sedentary behavior, including sitting for extended periods, increases the risk for developing dozens of chronic conditions. And uh, Dr. Alan Hedge is an expert on the subject. He is a professor in the Department of Design and Environmental Analysis at Cornell University. He directs the Human Factor and Ergonomics Teaching and Research Programs. His research and teaching activities have focused on issues of design and workplace ergonomics as these affect the health, comfort, and productivity of workers. Thank you, Dr. Hedge, for joining us today. 
Good morning, Matt. We're honored to have you. Um, I mean, we, we have this a lot. We hear this a lot, and even some other BYU professors come on, and every time they come on, they move their chairs away, and they stand the entire time they do the interview. Um, is is there? Give us the latest and greatest when it comes to the research. S- sitting, are, are we killing ourselves if we're sitting all day? Uh, the latest and greatest research says no, we aren't. <laughs> Good. Okay. okay. <laughs> right. Okay. So, so it's not uh, like it's not like smoking, is. right? Oh no, no, it's not like smoking. Okay. Not at all like smoking. Unless you're no, sitting I mean, and with, smoking, then that's another problem. That's <laughs> that's totally a different. <laughs> okay, thing. good. Yep. We know that when you smoke a cigarette, it's going to shorten your life by about eleven minutes. And wow! If you sit for too long, and, and by the way, you know this is extreme sitting. So you're talking eleven hours a day of oh, sitting. Oh wow! Yeah, it's going to shorten your life. Uh, every hour of sitting is going to potentially shorten your life then by about twenty-two minutes. So wow. sitting and smoking, yeah, you, that's not a good idea. But um, these are statistical associations. And what you have to look at is, is there really any evidence that sitting causes these problems or is sitting a consequence of the problem? Hmm. In other words, if you're not feeling well, you'll probably sit down. Does it right. mean that sitting caused you not to feel well or you're sitting because you're not feeling well? And so when you look at the evidence, the latest study just published last week, a study of civil servants in the United Kingdom. It it actually tracked them for 16 years, and it showed that, in fact, there was no association between any of their measures of mortality, you know, the things that are going to kill you, and the amount that you sit. Good. And the explanation for that apparent discrepancy is that these people actually moved as well. So on average, they were walking for about 45 minutes a day. Okay. And we, we have pretty good evidence from other studies that it's movement that's important. It's not sitting or standing as such in terms of looking at mortality, but the, the human body is designed to move. And if you look at people anywhere in the world, they will sit down and they'll sit down when they're tired. It's just you don't want to stay sitting down. You want to periodically stand up and you want to periodically move because if all you do is stand all the time, you'll you'll experience a whole variety of other health problems that we know are associated with staying in any one position for too long. So So in terms of the magic formula, we can give you that formula. Yeah, what is the formula? The formula is to try and restrict your sitting to about 20 minutes at a time and then to stand up and work for about eight minutes, and then to move and stretch for about two minutes. Hmm. And if you can think about how you might build that into your daily routine, um, it turns out that doing that frequently is much better than saying, well, I'm going to sit for six hours, but then I'm going to run for an hour. Right. That doesn't actually compensate for some of the downside of sitting. So every so, half hour, you should spend 20 minutes of it sitting, eight yeah. minutes of it standing, Two of two minutes stretching, you know, moving, moving around. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But you can build uh, now. If you think about, these are not hard and fast numbers, sure. but but the numbers come from a whole series of different research studies. We know that after twenty minutes, people's ability to pay attention has gone down by as much as thirty, in some cases forty percent. Right. You lose focus. Yeah. So. 
frequently changing position helps you maintain focus. When you stand up, it actually sort of kicks the heart into action. It pumps more blood to your brain. Um, it, it alerts you. You can't fall asleep standing up as easily as you can fall asleep sitting down. But we know that if you stand for much longer than about eight minutes, you start getting tired, and then you start leaning, and then you start <laughs> to get into awkward positions. And just standing increases the risk of problems like varicose veins. Sure. So you need to be moving to get the muscles moving. They're changing length. They're helping pump blood around the body. So thinking uh, of how you might do that, you know, that two minutes walking could be you walk to a, uh, a water fountain or you, you know, you walk to a coffee machine mm -hmm. or something like that. Um, building that throughout the day also triggers what are called G habits. And, and this is work that NASA's done showing that the body needs to know that it's in a one-gravity environment, and the way it knows that is by you frequently changing from sitting to standing and standing to sitting. Oh, wow. And you need to do that at least 16 times a day, and then the body says, yep, I'm here on Earth, right? Yeah. Otherwise, it thinks it's floating in space, and some bad things happen as a result of that. Well, what are some of the bad things that happen, um, like when it comes to... Maybe not the G habit stuff, but uh, when it comes to just sitting too much, I, I assume it's just obesity. It's you get overweight. What what are the other negative repercussions of sitting too much? Um, well, it, it's not just obesity. First of all, when you when you sit down, the reason you sit down is it uses less energy. It uses about twenty percent less energy when you sit down compared to standing up to do the same work. Hmm. So if you don't take in any more calories, you know, if you've got your diet. Um, organized for a sedentary lifestyle, you'll be fine. You won't put weight on. You only put weight on if you keep eating as though you're an athlete. Right. You never do anything. That's right. And then you sit, yeah, and you do nothing. And then you're sitting. That, that's the problem. Okay. We know that a lot depends on how you sit. And by the way, most of the research studies completely ignore this, which is, is really silly. Um, you, if you're sitting in a bad posture, we know it increases the risk of a variety of problems, musculoskeletal problems. So you get greater risk of back pain and, and back injuries, you get greater risk of neck and shoulder pain uh, and other musculoskeletal disorders. So sitting in a good posture for 20 minutes is great. Bad posture, not so good. A good posture is where you're sitting back in your chair in a kind of more relaxed posture. And what the chair's doing is helping the muscles of your body relax because yeah. it's taking your body weight. Then when you, but if you do it for longer than 20 minutes, then you start to lose some focus. We know this from studies looking at people's typing and mousing performance. Um, and also, if you sit for longer than an hour, there are biochemical changes that happen in the muscles. And the muscles, uh, the, the, the body starts to take some of the calories that it's taking in and actually sending those calories to be stored as fat rather than burnt as activity in the muscles. Oh, wow. So that's why frequent changes over time are going to help you know maintain your weight or help you lose weight and the changes don't need to be huge i mean it's you know we're talking about 40 calories a day so if you if you stand eight hours uh, every 30 minutes over the course of the day you're going to have burnt an extra 80 calories more than twice as much as you need you know just by changing that that posture change alone hmm. do i do i lose my focus when i'm moving from standing to sitting 
Well, it's very quick. Yeah. <laughs> Unless you do it. Well, slowly. mine takes a little yeah. while longer, Alan. <laughs> but it, exactly. I mean, it depend, this is why they're not hard and fast rules. If you're in the middle of writing, you know, your latest review of War and Peace or whatever it is, <laughs> right. and you don't want to lose focus, and a, and a little egg timer goes off and says, you've been sitting, or your iWatch, your Apple Watch yeah. does it, you know, saying, you've been sitting for 20 minutes, ignore it. Keep doing what you're doing. It's not going to cause you any harm. Right. What causes you harm is doing that all the time. Right? I mean, this is just um, using your brain, right, Alan? Absolutely. It's using your brain and it's thinking about how do you build more variety and more movement into your life. The, as I say, the reason that in the latest study that there's no association with sitting and with uh, mortality uh, risks seems to be that these people actually moved more in the day. Um, and it's easy to move. You know, if you, if you can, wherever possible, if you can take stairs instead of an elevator, you know, do that. Yeah. Because that's a lot of movement that you've got. But also think about when you can move. As you said, I'm now standing up talking to you on the phone. Um, a few minutes ago, I was sitting down talking to you on the phone. You know, I can move around while I'm standing because I'm talking on the phone. But if I was typing, I couldn't do that. Yeah, right. You know, we, we know that when you're typing, movement kills your ability to type efficiently. You know? uh, and even standing, your uh, performance is going to ch- change over time because you get tired more quickly. So yeah. you've got to use your common sense here and think, mm-hmm. how do I just build a little more movement into my day? I love it. And, and again, it's not everybody's job is going to be so different. You're going to have to figure it out your way. We're speaking with Dr. Alan Hedge from Cornell University, uh, a professor there and really an expert in um, in human factors and ergonomics uh, teaching and research programs. He's here helping us understand, ironically, how to use your head to figure out how to live a healthier life you got to be moving a little bit more, and you don't have to be crazy about it, but we'll continue the discussion when we come back. More with Dr. Hedge, and uh, to sit or not to sit. Stick with us, folks. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, everybody. I'm still standing. (laughs) Today we're talking about sitting too much or standing too much. You know, there's a new uh, craze out there. Everybody keeps hearing reports that you got to stand more, right, at the office. In fact, uh, the White House just announced that they want to get standing desks for their, their people there. It cost about $700,000 to retool the White House to have standing desks. Can't you just see the day that you're in the Oval Office and the president is at a standing desk? It's, some, it's, it's, it's real, folks. This is, uh, this is the new age we live in. And uh, joining us on the phone is Dr. Alan Hedge. And Dr. Hedge is, uh, is the professor in the Department of Design and Environmental Analysis at Cornell University. He also directs the Human Factors and Ergonomics Teaching and Research Programs there. Um, another interesting uh, little fact about him is he is, um, he, is the, he is the winner of the Alexander J. Williams Jr. Design Award from the Human Factors and Ergonomics Society. So 
He's award-winning, folks. Dr. Alan Hedge, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Matt. Thanks. We love having uh, somebody that knows what they're talking about on the show. Because um, a lot of – did you hear? So President Obama wants the White House refitted, retooled, $700,000. Yeah. Is is this <laughs> worth it? Money. I know. I mean, really, it, because you don't well, necessarily well, need a standing desk to to stand. No, you don't. Absolutely. Exactly. If you really want to know is standing going to help you, the answer is simple. Stand up and try it. Yeah, try it. You know, I mean, these days with mobile technologies, you know, tablets and your, your smartphones, you don't need to be fixed in any one location. And remember back to the Bush, the previous Bush president? Yeah. Donald's Rum, Donald Rumsfeld used a standing desk. Okay, right? right. But he didn't stand all the time. I mean, the guy also played squash and he was right. pretty active doing other things. If you go back to World War II... Winston Churchill used a standing desk, wow. but he didn't stand all the time. Yeah. I mean, he just stood for some of the time, and he sat for the rest of the time. He also drank like a fish, and he <laughs> smoked cigars, and he lived to be 90. <laughs> so um, the idea of changing posture isn't new. The first sit-stand uh, arrangement was actually patented in 1899. So, you know, the, the idea of changing things is has been around a long time. Yeah. Is it? Oh. We're hearing some audio. The hang on a sec, there, Alan. Sure. Yeah, there's audio going on, Ben. Um, anyway, so one of the things that's interesting, I, I know a lot of people that use a standing desk also have back problems, and <laughs> and so they're 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 actually using the standing desk to to be able to straighten their back, and it feels healthier for them. So, I mean, historically, we was it just because we were sitting too long that we created back problems and. And now we use the desk to get out of the back problems. But in the future, will it not? Will a standing desk not create other problems like varicose veins? Well, uh, if we don't balance it. Yeah, going to what you say, you see people talk about sitting as though all sitting is the same. And it's not. Uh, You can sit in a bad posture and that'll cause a back problem. And a bad posture is where you're leaning forwards, where you're hunched over your desk. We call those people turtles. By the way, I'm doing it right now. As you said that, Alan, I am doing it right now. So I'm turtling. If, if, if you're turtling, that is doubling the compressive forces Ugh. in your lower back. Okay, and I'm that's going to cause you a back problem over time. On the other hand, if you're sitting back in your chair, the chair is actually supporting body weight. And if it's a well-designed chair, it's supporting the curvature of your lower back. Yeah. And you will not get back problems. So I need so to sit up. Yeah. sitting is not equal. It depends how you sit. Now... If if what you were doing was leaning forwards like that, then standing up is going to feel better. If you measure the pressure in, inside the, the spine in between the vertebrae, you find that standing up is about half the pressure that you have when you're sitting leaning forwards. But if you sit back, that's half of the pressure again of standing up. So it's much less tiring for you to sit and re- in a reclined posture, slightly reclined posture. That's even better for you than standing oh. up. But you just don't want to do it all the time. Right. But see, it's almost like we need a class on sitting because we don't yes. – here's an example. Because I went, in, I went in, I was having neck pain, went in, saw a chiropractor, and all he asked me is, do you have a laptop? And I'm like, yeah. And he said, do you use it a lot? And I'm like, yeah. But all it was was my posture with a laptop that was basically torquing my neck. Absolutely. And that's made even worse if you're hunched forwards because then you have to tilt your neck backwards to see what you're looking at. 
Or if you look today at people using their phones and tablets, you yeah. see the neck rotating forward. Now, the neck's like a 10-pound you know, bowling ball that's just hanging on the end of your spine there. If that's how you're working, you are just asking for neck, shoulder, even hand and wrist problems because the nerves that go down to the hands start at the, in the neck. Hmm. So you, posture is really key. We talk about neutral posture, and that's where everything is balanced. If you're in a neutral posture, whether you're sitting or standing, you won't get injured as a result of that. Man. You know, so my mom was right. Sit up straight. No. Sit, I mean, well, but sit Not back sit in the up. chair. Let, <laughs> right. let the chair do the work. Yep. But that also means you got to go buy the, 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 the equipment. But this shouldn't be – I mean, yeah. a lot of these, these desks are expensive and the chairs are expensive. Yeah. Do you need expensive equipment? No, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> Alan, you're ruining the industry. Uh, no, I'm not. I mean, it, you know, it's like saying if you want to go from A to B, do you need to buy a Rolls Royce? You can. Right. You don't need to. You can go from A to B in other ways. No, the first, it's quite, here's why I say that. It's quite possible that you go and buy all this expensive equipment and then still work in a poor posture and end up with problems. Hmm. Right. right. It's, it, if you don't know what you're doing, the equipment almost is irrelevant. And we never teach people how to actually do the work. We never teach them about how to sit or how to stand, how long to do it, how to recognize the warning signs that something's going wrong. And so um, equipment alone is not going to solve the problems. Hmm. And that's what you see with sit-stand desks. In the studies that have been done, uh, there haven't been a whole lot yet that have, have followed people through, but they typically find after about a month you know, they're like the treadmills that people buy in January wanting to get fit. You know, they, right. they get put into storage and never get used. And so people never actually adjust the, the desks and you've wasted a lot of money then. I know some people, too, that have taken this to the extreme where they not only have a standing desk, but they also are walking on a treadmill. I know. Talk about that. <laughs> Is that just well, extreme? I mean, that's like you're, I think you're setting yourself up to be injured. Well, you're setting yourself up for a number. I mean, there's no question. If you walk all day long, right, you'll lose weight compared to sitting all day long and standing all day long. Um, but it's really hard to – it's almost like the old Gerald Ford thing of walking and chewing gum at the same time. <laughs> it's really hard to work effectively on a computer and be walking at the same time. The studies show that people type less quickly and also that they make more errors, and especially if they're doing tasks that require them to use a computer mouse. Yeah. So if what you're doing is talking on the phone, that's fine. You can talk and walk at the same time. If you're reading something on a screen or watching a movie, it's fine to be on a treadmill like you would be at a gym. But it's just it doesn't make sense to do that for everything. So again, it's a matter of really thinking through what is it that you want to do. Hmm. I mean... Again, it's you can be healthy and not fanatical. And if you like standing, but I guess I'd try it out before you go make an investment in an expensive desk. Sure, absolutely. Um, so, you know, some companies have um, – you said some of your colleagues have yeah. a standing desks. Some companies have created uh, different work areas. I mean, because technology is mobile – you can sit down and you can work, but then you can, if you've got a laptop or a tablet, you can take it and you can spend a little time at a standing desk and do that. And then you can come back at a, you know, to a seated desk or you can go to another part of the building. So the, the most recent and most successful 
companies are actually creating lots of different kinds of spaces in their building and letting people move between those spaces to do their work. And if your work is mobile enough that you can do that, that's a great solution. In your case, you're in a recording studio. Right. I'm, I'm kind of <laughs> <And>, trapped. <laughs> you're trapped. You, you can't be walking around all the time trying to do anything mm. because the sound engineers would go ballistic, you know, trying to right. sort you out. So, but I can't... so you're trapped while you're talking, but when you're not talking, and when there's a break, you have a chance to stand up, you have a chance to stretch and move. And those are the kinds of things you can be thinking about. Well, and I can worry about my posture, which you've already corrected, and yes. I I can stand up because our studios are, are ideal for that. So, I mean, I guess that's great because I have these options. And two, there are other people. It depends on your job. I mean, I'm, I'm imagining a UPS delivery guy that's so in and out of his truck that it doesn't matter. His rules are completely different. Totally different. Absolutely. He's not going to run the risk of, of, uh, of the same problems. But if you take, say, a truck driver or a bus driver. Yeah. You know, they're sitting down, and not only that, they're now being vibrated in that seat, being bounced up and down, and that, that can really increase the risk of back problems. So we know for those kinds of folks that you need to take fairly frequent breaks. You know, every hour or two, you need to take a break. Hmm. Not a long break, but take a break. Get out of the vehicle, move around, stretch, and then you can get back in. Wow. And that's good practice. Yeah. Um, airline pilots don't kind of have that luxury. Right. You know, but on a long flight, they do. When possible, they need to be able to get up and actually move around and even come out of the, you know, the pilot cockpit to just, again, get the body limbered up and moving. Do you um, see a correlation to um, sitting and happiness or or standing and happiness? Uh, the, I don't know the real answer to that because um, there are many things that are going to impact happiness. Sure. But what we do know is that there are relationships between your posture and your mood, hmm. right? If what you sit, it, it, let's say you were sitting hunched forward, you know, hunched over like yeah. that turtle, then in that kind of posture, people tend to um, rate themselves as being more depressed. Hmm. Okay. So it, 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 it's, if you really, if you want to prepare yourself for anything, like prepare yourself for a job interview, what you have to do is you have to stand up, you have to pull your shoulders back, you know, stick your chest out and uh, get yourself into what we call a power posture. And there's some evidence that doing that intermittently, periodically throughout the day will in fact improve your mood over, over time. So there's a relationship there. Now, is it the posture or is it the fact that in that good posture you've got better blood flow to the brain? Mm -hmm. And that's likely to be the reason, you know, why people feel better. This is great. I mean, it's so basic. But everybody kind of knows, yeah, every, if you straighten up, you do feel something different. And just maybe that's what we ought to be send, setting our watches for isn't just mm -hmm. to get up and walk, but maybe to just to do, to an, do an assessment on yourself. How's your posture? How's your feeling? How's your breath? How's your mood? Uh, well, sure, absolutely. I mean, you can you can do that, and some people need that external pacing. But the reality is that if we actually taught people how to do some of these things, yeah. they would learn it. For example, think about when you know what time of day do you eat breakfast or lunch or uh, an evening meal, and you find it's remarkably consistent from day to day. You know, babies are not born with that sense of time. <laughs> right. They learn this is the, the time. You go to a different country, you'll find they have a different pattern there. But you can relearn that. And so we can learn these patterns, and they become habits, and we don't even think about them then. It's like you know being on autopilot 
when you're driving almost. Right. You don't have to think about it. You just do it. Uh, and that's the beauty. We've been able to do that now. The reason you're seeing so much interest now is that technology now allows us to do it. In the days when you had a great big clunky computer and a landline phone, <laughs> you couldn't be moving around. You couldn't. You were trapped. Standing. You were trapped. But now you don't need to be trapped if you you know, don't want to be. So. That's great. Um, give us one more thing, Dr. Hedge. Uh, what would you say is the one thing? So we've talked about a lot of stuff, but if somebody wants to get a little healthier by by following your rule, the 28-2 rule, right. um, what, what would you say is the one thing we need to do that, that, that is the, of utmost importance for our health day in, day out when it comes to our work environment? I would say baby steps with variety. In other words, don't say today I'm going to change everything because that's like saying today I'm not going to eat any more food because I want to lose weight. Right. It will be a disaster. Make small changes and don't look for immediate results, right? Make small changes. Don't say I have to do this every 28, two minutes or whatever mm-hmm. because you'll find that sometime it won't be convenient. You can't do that if you're sitting in a meeting. But what you can maybe do in the meeting is say, you know, I, I'd like to stand up for a few minutes. And you can think about how in your day you can make those baby step changes that over time are going to add up to a big effect on improving your health. Yeah. Well done. Great advice, Dr. Alan Hedge. Thank you so much for your insight and research. Keep up the good work. I'm sure we'll have you back uh, when you figure out that we don't need to stand at all. Um, <laughs> hopefully well, that, if you were a fish, that yeah, would be true. If I were a fish, that'd be perfect. <laughs> we appreciate you. Keep up the great work. And um, honestly, Cornell, lucky to have Dr. Alan Hedge. Uh, I mean, who would think like an ergonomics class would be as fun as he could make it? But I bet you that's a, a, it's a great uh, learning. All of us. I mean, think about it. It's it's your life. It's your body. Just sitting up. He got me sitting up and I'm like, holy cow, I feel taller. And now I can't see Ben. Oh, there you are. Anyway, we'll take a break, my friends. Uh, Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you uh, live a little longer by sitting a little taller. Stick with us, folks. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, while we're on the topic of health, I thought I'd bring up uh, this this next story. Um, you know, a, a lot of a lot of people, you know, are unemployed, and they're trying. Even our millennials are trying to find, you know, what's their what's their niche in the world. Um, how about sword swallowing? Uh, you may not know this, but it is a dying art, quite literally. Um, Although not as common as they were a century ago, professional sword swallowers are still around today. The art of swallowing swords first appeared in recorded history in India 4,000 years ago as a holy skill mastered by um, uh, fakirs and priests. The art soon passed to the Greek and Roman cultures and then spread to Eastern Asia, eventually arriving in Europe during the 1200s. No longer a religious rite, by then sword swallowing became strictly an entertainment event. The number of sword swallowers in the U.S. exploded in the first half of the 20th century 
due to the massive increase in the number of circuses, traveling carnivals, carnivals, and vaudeville acts. But beginning in the late 1950s, the number of those circuses and carnivals dropped sharply, sharply uh, and so did the number of sword swallowers. So here's the deal. Um, if you're interested in getting involved in sword swallowing, you might want to get involved in the SSAI organization, which is a group uh, that has been put together to basically help the the sword swallowers of the world unite and network. On there, you can get information about how to begin your apprentice sword uh, <laughs> swallowing art. And they teach you. They just walk you through. You know, you start with a bent hanger. Oh, my word. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, this is some audio off of their website. No, that was actually me. I was trying. Was that you trying? Yeah. Yeah. Put your pen down, dude. Quit trying to swallow your pen. SSAI is a private organization dedicated to networking the last few existing sword, sword swallowers around the world, promoting dialogue between sword swallowers and encouraging safe sword swallowing practices and techniques and preserving and promoting the art of sword swallowing worldwide. Anyway, it's out there for you, folks. Um, I'm not going to give you the website. I'll let you go find that yourself. But there is a warning. Um, really, do not try this at home. <laughs> like, don't. Like, don't. That may have been a good disclaimer before you started talking about it. That's a great point. Yeah. Yeah. J- just in case it ever comes up. Yeah, again. let's make that a point. Uh, we'll make sure Terry knows that. Uh, Terry, make sure next time we give any, uh, you know, any warnings first before I do the story. Just, yeah. So anyway, I'll give it now. Do not try this at home. Don't start. Don't. It, it, as we just saw with Ben, it'll, it'll make you gag. It, it'll get you. Sword swallowing. <sighs> That's the stuff you get on this show that you don't get on a lot of other shows. A lot of other shows would never bring up sword swallowing. I left out from the article the references of how long of a sword is like the world record. Yeah, how long is that? I can't remember. It's it's fairly long. Someone took a jackhammer and swallowed the jackhammer. Not the you know just oh, the yeah. So I mean just, just the jackhammer the bit. I guess you yeah. could say. I just crazy things that people have done, and they they're they're very proud of it. Is hey, their swallow the jackhammer bit. Yeah, so it's just people are doing all kinds of crazy things. So not, we recommend not that you crazy. not. It's a it's an art. It's an art. Okay. However, where do you want to couch yeah. the situation? Again, we do not recommend you do it. No. But it's out there for those curious type. <laughs> we'll take a break, folks. Uh, it's hour number two of the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be back next hour. More tools to help you find the good in the world. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. This is the show where we give you the information, the tools you need to grow a healthier, happier life. Top of the morning to you. Man, for many of you, it's almost top of lunch to you. Hey, uh, today we're going to be talking about a book 
How to deal with traditional and impossible people in your life. Oh, sorry. Irrational. That's how bad my eyes are. <laughs> how to deal with irrational people. And your and glasses impossible are Impossible people. I know. It's because I was looking... I was looking down. Anyway, I have bifocals. So irrational people. Irrational people. Now, the book's called Talking to Crazy. Yeah. So when you're dealing with somebody that's irrational and impossible, I mean, by the way, not to name names. Go ahead. Just do it. But does that remind you of anybody in this room? Ben? Yes. Oh, we're sorry. The naming names. Oh, thing. you named a name. Yeah, it's all right. Yeah. He's, he's good. He knows. I mean, he's a good. My, my mom's probably listening to this. You know what? Your mom, by the way, fantastic. <laughs> and she knows too. By so the way, it's no totally problem. rational. But her son, totally irrational and traditional. Um, we'll be talking today with uh, Mark Goulston, who's going to walk us through the skills of dealing with somebody that just is difficult. And not that Ben's difficult. Like adults? Yeah, an adult oh. person that uh, is just. Uh, I'm not an adult. Great point. Well, you don't act like one. Great point on that one. Did you hear? Speaking of not adults and irrational people, a Long Island woman uh, had the not so bright idea to get her stolen handbag by basically claiming that it was there was a bomb scare. Right. Okay. Probably not your best move, but uh, Lisa Roberto's day trip to the Manhattan ended with her pocketbook still missing and her arrest for calling in a phony bomb threat. Police said the incident happened on October 10th when Roberto was sitting, uh, or was sorry, my eyes. I've got to get it where I can see it. Was hitting the town in Manhattan. Listen to what she did. They were in a lobby of a swanky Gansevoort Hotel, the meatpacking district, when somebody made off with Roberto's purse. Which, by the way, had two grand in it because mm. she was going to go pay for her car par- car repairs. Police said that Roberto's uh, – she called 911 twice within a matter of minutes. But instead of saying that her purse had been stolen, she initially said that she was involved in some sort of family dispute. And then she called back to say that she thought a bomb might explode in the hotel. <sighs> We're really quick on the buttons there. Isn't that funny? Yeah. You can't get him to do anything No, but fast. When, when there's an explosion to be had, yeah, Ben's right there. Honestly. <laughs> uh, anyway, the patrol car pulls up. Roberto identifies herself, said her bag had been taken, and then quickly admitted that she had made two other bogus calls because she thought the calls would make the cops arrive faster. Well, lo and behold, mm-hmm. she was arrested for reckless endangerment yeah. and issued a desk appearance ticket, and she's due back in court next month. Now, at the same time, you say your your purse was stolen. They're not going to come. No. They may be there at some point, but not any time soon to help you. They'll take a report and move on. Right. But you say a bomb threat. They're going to show up now. They're going to show up right now. And you'll have multiple police officers to help you. And you're going to have a long ride to talk about it. Yeah. I mean, don't you think if you could spend an hour with a cop? And then they'll take the report on your missing purse. Well, while you're in there. Right. Well, you have them. Yeah. It's, it's, it's convenient. It's almost like she's really trying to utilize the best parts of the police department yeah. in the wrong way. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. Because she got, you know, like detectives would show up, mm-hmm. whereas before it might just be a patrol officer to take a report and move That's on. Right. Well, you'd think the bomb squad would show up because right. then you've got a squad. Yeah. There's more than one. That For sure you'll find your person. Maybe a van. 
instead yeah. of a car. It's going to cost her too. Yeah. I mean, that's not that's you know, she lost 2 grand. Now she's going to probably lose another 2 grand just to get out of jail. At some point she's like, "I know, I'll call in a bomb threat." Yeah. I bet you somebody gave her that idea. You know? Like yeah. Ben gives us ideas like that. Like, "Hey, why don't you just call in a bomb threat?" Yeah. Like, "Hey, I'm trying to find Don. Do you know where to find Don? And he's like, why don't you just call in a bomb threat? That'll work. You'll find Don then. <laughs> He'll be in the parking lot with everybody else. These kids nowadays. <laughs> These kids. Oh. Anyway, um, crazy. So let's uh, – do you have any headlines for us? I do have some Terry's headlines. doing here. the headlines. Head, hit we've, it. we've been talking this morning about the uh, hacker who claims to have broken into the America Online email account of CIA Director John Brennan. The kid says, or the alleged teenager. He says he's a teenager. I don't know if people actually believe him. Well, but alleged, card the boy. Then you know. <laughs> they could find him. Okay. He was a, a a random set of letters on Twitter, and then they killed that account. So right. I'm not sure. But, but the New York Daily News was able to track him down. And he says that he posed as a Verizon worker to get a company employee... Uh, to get a company employee to reveal Brennan's personal information. Verizon allegedly gave up the last four digits of Brennan's card on file, which was used to get into his account. The hacker, who says he is younger than 20 years old, got access to a slew of information, including application, the application Brennan filled out in order to get a security clearance, which led him to another step and another step, and then he had the entire then the email next account. You know, yeah. And now we're in this situation where social security numbers of top CIA officials are online. But he, like we said, he's not really a hacker as much as he is just a smooth talker. Smooth talker. He got Verizon to He's be probably helpful. got a ton of dates. I bet you a lot of people would like that. How yeah. could get Verizon to be helpful? <laughs> I bet you, <laughs> you that's ought to a write problem. a book on that. <laughs> Other uh, stories today. The federal government will require many drones to be registered. A move prompted by the growing number of reported close calls and incidences that pose safety risks, officials announced on Monday. Hmm. Pilot sightings of drones have doubled since last year, including sightings near manned aircraft and major sporting events and interference with wildfire uh, fighting operations, the government has said. These reports signal a troubling trend, Federal or FAA Chief Michael Huerta. Who? Yeah, you know. Registration will increase pressure on drone operators to fly responsibly, he said, adding when they don't fly safe, they'll know there will be consequences. In cases mm. where drones have crashed, there will not be, uh, and they were not supposed to be flying in that area, a crowded sports stadium, for example, it has been difficult to find the operator. That's right. You need a little license tag they, on Because they it. crash and run, so if it's, if it's you know, registered, then you know who right. it was. Busted. Some 700,000 drones are forecast to be sold for this holiday season. 700,000. That's a lot of licenses. The question asked at the press conference is you want people to retroactively just volunteer to register with the government? Nah. I'll just wait till it crashes, lose that one. Then I'll I'll license my next one. So we'll see how that works. Hmm. A U.S. district judge on Monday sentenced a former Drug Enforcement Administration agent to 78 months in prison for stealing bitcoins during a federal investigation into the international online black market, Silk Road. So Silk Road's where you'd go to buy drugs and do all sorts of illicit activities. Um, This guy was investigating it, and while he was there, he got one of the guys to blackmail him to give him a bunch of Bitcoin. Give me your Bitcoin. This might be one of the first times where someone was put in jail over stealing a virtual currency. This is this is advancing. We're advancing. And another, uh, uh, what was it, a Secret Service agent took uh, 50,000 in Bitcoin. He's also involved in this, but hasn't been sentenced yet. But this guy... uh, the the payment they well he told uh, apparently the way it went down is he told the guy running Silk Road you do this or I'm gonna 
you know, put you in jail. Yeah. So he gave him 50,000 Bitcoin. And then the, then the DEA agent said the payment was never made. But, of course, it was, and it was in his account. Well, I, so he I tried never to got it. it. I never got it. So, yeah, virtual Interesting. Bitcoin. Last week, Amazon filed a lawsuit against more than 1,114 individuals who have allegedly posted fake product reviews on Amazon.com. Yes. Amazon claims many of the defendants have operated mostly out in the open, listing their services and answering ads via the gig site Ferverv.com to write glowing five-star reviews for $5 apiece. Interesting. So for $5, I'll give you a glowing review and your product will get sold because people look for those positive reviews. I look for the negative ones. Yeah. Let's see what's failed on this thing. The suit states that even though the fake reviews are small in number, they are significantly undermining the trust that consumers and the vast majority of sellers and manufacturers place in Amazon.com. And they say it's about 30% of product reviews are fake. Well, I know, but how, how are you ever going to stop that? They're trying. Because anybody that writes a book's like, hey, go go write me a good review. Right. He's telling his family that. You're not going to yeah. or Or you hear about people that, that develop an app or a product that's sold online. They tell all their, all their employees yeah. to jump on real quick and give us a quick good review so our, our numbers go up. Right. Hey, that's, um, fake. that's good news. I mean, at least they're doing something about it. By the way, I figured out why I can't read and why I can't see. It's because I'm standing up. By standing up, I'm now a foot farther away. So you should sit down. I'm, I'm about to sit down. Wow. I was trying to stand up to be healthier. Do it for your health. I was trying to do, I, I guess I'll do a couple more minutes. Right. Then. You can sit for 20 minutes every half hour. Yeah. Then you stand for eight and walk around for two. When do you eat donuts? While you're walking. There's a good point. Because then it's kind of a zero sum. Yeah, you're you, burning yeah. calories you and eating calories. Eat. Love it. All right. Great advice. We're going to take a break, folks. When we come back, we're going to be talking about how you deal with the irrational person. How do you communicate with crazy? Well, we've got the author of the book, uh, Dr. Mark Golston, will be joining us. He wrote the book called Talking to Crazy about the irrational people that we have to deal with and how do you communicate with them to get your point across, to not get caught up in it, to not let it just turn into a fight. It's a pretty interesting topic. Stick with us, folks. Everybody's got somebody that's a little irrational in their lives, right? Well, we'll be talking about it in just a minute. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, have you ever had a coworker or even an ex who just seemed to rub you, rub you the wrong way when they talked? Sometimes there are people we come in contact with who just seem to think that they know everything. Or they get extremely defensive, or they make snide or nasty comments. It seems so pointless, doesn't it, to try to talk to these people or share any kind of relationship because it may seem like there's no way around they're crazy. Uh, so uh, our renowned uh, psychologist, psychiatrist and communicator, Dr. Mark Goulston, is joining us right now uh, on the phone. And he seems to have cracked the code on how to talk with these people. I mean, they're sure they're difficult. Sure they're difficult. But he wrote the book on it, Talking to Crazy, How to Deal with the Irrational and Impossible People in Your Life. Dr. Mark Goulston, welcome to the show. 
Hey, Matt, it's good to be uh, on again. Yes, uh, love having you back. Yeah, you know, I wrote this book, uh, which is a little bit uh, controversial, the title, but yeah, we'll get pe- into that. Right. Uh, but I wrote it because my last book that we spoke about was called Just Listen. Mm-hmm. And it's it's not to get people to listen to you. It's how you get through to them by listening to them. Yeah, you open their heart up. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and the two most requested or focused on chapters in that book, there was one called Steer Clear of Toxic People. And the other one was how to go from kind of, oh, O-F, O-Fudge to OK. So mm-hmm. how do you calm yourself down so that you're not reacting? And so I got so much attention for those chapters, I said, why not write an entire book on it? And, and I make a distinction between people who act crazy yeah. and people who are mentally ill. I yeah. have a lot of respect and empathy and compassion, actually for both cases, and if people actually read the book instead of... Uh, Just react to it. Just reacting, you know, you can't tell a book by its cover. What can I say? Right. But it really is, the, the whole book is about how to calm yourself down and then how to, when you calm yourself down, is to lean into the other person's crazy-making behavior. It's almost like leaning into the eye of a hurricane. Huh. And when you do that, uh, one of the pictures that I use is when someone's acting crazy, Again, uh, I, I make a distinction between that and mentally ill. But when someone's just acting crazy, I kind of see them as a whirring engine, and my goal is to get my hand into the key in the ignition and pull it out. Oh, interesting, because that's so counterintuitive, Mark. It seems like you ought to lean away from the crazy moment, the, the negative energy, the, 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 the difficulty. And, but you're saying you, you have to lean into it to understand it, and then you can turn it off or, or engage it to, to do something. Yeah, and a good analogy, and this is why you know, if you have your senses about you and you understand how things work, you'll be able to lean into it. And a good analogy is when a dog bites your arm and has their teeth in your arm. If you try to pull your arm out, they're going to dig their teeth in more. Right. If you push your arm into their throat, yeah. they're going to choke and they're going to let go of it. Did you hear there was a man that just saved his life? A bear attacked him and his grandma had taught him, hey, shove your hand down the bear's throat and he'll throw it up and get away from you. Yeah, so and, he got yeah. away. That's exactly it. And, and I'm a neuroscientist and something that you know I, I, I'm fascinated by, but, but I think will help explain this, uh, is that uh, when someone's acting crazy, there's something in their body called cortisol. When your cortisol goes up, that's your stress hormone. Yeah. And the higher your cortisol, the more stressed you are. And the counter to that is actually a hormone that even men have, uh, but it's associated with women, called oxytocin. And oxytocin is the bonding hormone. And when you bond with another person, they relax. When you increase their cortisol, they, um, uh, they act up. And so the whole idea of leaning into someone is calm yourself down. Don't take what they're saying personally. And then you lean into what they're saying. And one of the ways to do that uh, is that when someone is yelling or screaming or whining or complaining and threatening to trigger you to act react emotionally focus on uh, focus on hyperbole such as this is really awful or focus on the inflection on their voice when it goes way up like that mm-hmm. or uh, and, and I'm a student of this or focus on an adverb which embellishes a verb or an adjective which embellishes a noun 
because all of those have emotional juice on them from the other person. So when someone says, this is really awful and it's got to stop, instead of getting defensive, you pause, you're composed, you look them in the eye, and you say, say more about the really awful. Hmm. And when you do that, what will happen is you're leaning in, you're not judging them, you're asking them basically to get more of the stuff off their chest. Yeah. And when someone's getting something off their chest, even if they're aiming it between the eyes, imagine it going over your shoulder. So if you have a spouse, this is, this is, this is a takeaway. People are going to stop their cars just to listen to this. Trust Pull me. over and listen to this. Okay. Okay, so if you're trying to get through to someone who gets emotional in your life, and it could be a spouse, could be a kid, one of the things, let, let's say it's a spouse, and it could be a male spouse, could be a female spouse, when they are acting up and they're yelling verbally, at you, part of what they're trying to do is they're trying to get something off their chest quickly before they act on it. Yeah. So if they're really frustrated at your children, or your parents, or someone else, they're venting at you before they do something they're going to regret. So the more you pull away or get defensive, the less able they are to get it off their chest. And so, and 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 when they aim it at you, when they when they point it at you, now some of it you deserve, but. They, they're eliminating all the wiggle room. And mm. so when they say, uh, uh, you don't even know your kids, you're a workaholic, uh, instead of getting defensive, if you can see into the eye of the hurricane that they're venting so that they don't really do something awful to your kids and then feel abusive, uh, if you were to lean in there and say, uh, uh, say more that I, you know, I don't even know my kids. Say more about that. Yeah, tell that, me more about that. Because that sounds really messed up. And you're, and you're not telling them they're messed up. You're taking, you're taking what they're saying. You say something like that, and then you watch them, you will see them totally, they'll get discombobulated. They'll say, what? <laughs> say, yeah, you told me that I don't even know my kids, and, and I'm sure I do that a lot. That sounds messed up. Say more about that. Yeah. And when you watch them, they're just going to calm down. And then uh, and th- that's what I call a conversation deepener. That's when you reach in. And enable them to get even more off their chest, and then when they finish saying whatever that is, and by by the way, they're going to be awkward because they were expecting it yeah. to escalate. Right. The next thing you say when they say, "Well, you don't do this, and you don't do that," and they talk to you, and you're you're spaced out, and you're checking your email, then another conversation deepener to lean into their crazy making is you go, "Really?" And they say, "Oh yeah, you do this a lot of the time, and it frustrates the kids and whatever," and and. What will happen is you will feel a sense of centeredness and composure. You'll feel in charge of that conversation without being controlling or judgmental. And you will watch them get stuff off their chest, but then you will watch them calm down. Mm. Now, now, the key is to care enough about them right. to really not just use this as a tactic. And when you see they're getting stuff off their chest, and you have empathy for, boy, I'll, I'll bet the kids are really frustrating them, I'll bet some of their friends are really frustrating them. If you have real empathy about that, then when they calm down, you're going to feel much better. You look in their eyes and you say, you know, I'm sorry, I do check my email too much when I'm with the kids. I yeah. do do that, and, and I'm going to fix that, and you, and I'm going to check in with you to make sure that I'm, uh, I'm keeping my promise. Oh, see, that's... And at the very, let's say the very least, even if you don't agree with anything they just said, you didn't chase them down the hole. I mean, if if because when they bring you that negative energy, if you react and chase and fight back, then you just end up going down the hole together. 
Yeah, absolutely. And going back to my little neuroscience thing, you've increased their cortisol. But can you see that when you lean into it the way I'm saying, yeah. it, you, you've increased the bonding between you. And a lot of the reasons people act up is because they feel alone in their anger, alone in their fear, alone in their agitation. And so when you can lean into it, it's, I'll, I'll tell you, it is like cutting diamonds. I mean, mm. people have said to me, this is, this is amazing. Uh, entrepreneurs, by the way, uh, are ter often terrible in a lot of their marriages because they're pedal to the metal. And w when uh, a spouse tries to get their attention, they often act really annoyed and, and, and they treat their, their children and their spouses as, uh, as just a problem to be solved. And, uh, and yet, I've, this, this advice I'm giving you really works well on entrepreneurs who have been divorced and they don't want to mm. go through another one. Yeah. And they say, you know, this is magic. Yeah, we need to, we need to engage this. We're speaking with Dr. Mark Goulston, um, the author of the book, uh, Talking to Crazy, How to Deal with the Irrational and Impossible People in Your Life. He also is the author of the book, Just Listen, um, this, Discover the Secret to Getting Through to Absolutely Anyone. We'll take a break, come back, continue this discussion for how you lean in to uh, the irrational thought and let and listen to it and, and almost just walk them down, walk their emotion down by understanding it, heaven forbid. Man, who'd have thunk? Just listening could lower someone's emotion and increase understanding. It's, a, it's an important uh, lesson for all of us. We'll take a break. More with Dr. Mark Goulston right here on the Matt Townsend Show. Everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. We are on the phone with Dr. Mark Goulston uh, from the website. If you go to GoulstonGroup.com, Goulston is G-O-U-L-S-T-O-N, GoulstonGroup.com. You can get information about all of his books. Uh, the book we're talking about right now is Talking to Crazy, How to Deal with the Irrational and Impossible People in Your Life. Dr. Goulston, by the way, uh, is, a, is a noted psychiatrist and um, neuropsychiatric at the Neuropsychiatric Institute at UCLA. He also holds an MD from Boston University, and um, he's, he really—we love having him on the show because when somebody knows what they're talking about— and they uh, and they can make it easy for the rest of us to understand. It's gold, folks. It's gold. So, he uh, welcome back, Doctor Golston. Well, thank you, Matt. I, I always enjoy being on the show. And you've been teaching us uh, the the chemistry of what may make somebody go a little crazy. And you're not talking just like mentally ill uh, per se, but it could be at times. But it's where it's where their cortisol kicks in, their stress hormone kicks in, and once that kicks in, they kind of get into an ugly kind of fighting mentality, don't they? Yeah. So what happens is they trigger that in you. That's why mm -hmm. it's so important uh, to follow. Or early on in the book, I have something called the sanity cycle, and what you really want to do is, and I'll just I'll just go through it very quickly. Yeah. Is uh, it's see that the other person is acting crazy. And I emphasize that they're acting crazy, which is different than seeing that the other person is mentally ill. Because if the other person is mentally ill, you know, then, then 
you've got to approach them differently because they really can't help themselves. Right. This isn't something they, they're trying to do. Whereas someone who's acting crazy, well, maybe they say, I can't help myself, but you know, they, they actually can because you see them in another setting and they don't act crazy in right. another setting. Uh, whereas the mentally ill person acts that way everywhere because they have this thing they're dealing with. So see that they're acting crazy, and then what you want to do is you want to identify their M.O., and I'll be happy to send you an excerpt that you can share with your listeners. Yeah, that'd be great. Uh, and there's a PDF, and it, there's something called the Nine Most Common M.O.s of Irrational People. Hmm. And, and, I'll, and I'll read one. And what this does is it, it describes kind of where they come from, and then it describes your neat and immediate reaction, and you'll see how dysfunctional it is. So here's the one for know-it-alls. Know-it-alls like being the only expert in any topic, even if they've never been there or done that. They will find cracks in any idea you offer, even if it's correct. Hmm. They know that if they can make you feel stupid, you'll lose confidence and often back off and become submissive. Their MO is to belittle, mock, or condescend to you. And your immediate reaction is these people may uh, make you feel small, insignificant, not good enough, and sometimes ashamed. And then you feel resentful. So, uh, so I'll send you a yeah. PDF of all these things. So the idea, the second step is identify their MO. And one of the reasons for that is becoming informed about sort of how they are and, and not expecting them not to be that way. You won't feel blindsided. Yeah, because you see the pattern. Once you see the pattern, you can, you can – it's like football or whatever. Once I see the pattern they're doing, I can start defending against it or, or handle it better. Absolutely. And then the next step is deal with your own crazy. So that's when you're getting all jazzed up. And I mentioned, you know, you can talk yourself down for, by going, oh, fudged, mm-hmm. okay, and just breathing through that. One of my favorite things is uh, is I say to myself, whenever I hear a person acting up, I say to myself, opportunity for poise. Because I think when people show poise under pressure, including myself, uh, I think it's classy. And we don't see enough of that. Right. And one of the ways I do that, and this is also in the book, um, is I've been blessed to have six mentors. They've all passed away, and they all believed in me when I didn't, and they all loved me. And, hmm. and so when I say opportunity for poise, I can conjure up any of those six mentors, and they'll talk me down. They'll say, Mark, what's going on? Yeah. Oh, this side of it, blah, blah, blah. Mark, uh, it's, it's not your fault. Well, blah, 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 blah. And then what will happen is I... I immediately look at them, and they've all passed away, and and I just see their loving, caring, and I'm even feeling it now. Yeah. So my voice is changing slightly because I, I feel blessed. And so that can help uh, talk you down. And then go to the other person's crazy. And we talked about how you, ta- you, you ask more questions for them to get it off their chest, and then you show that you're not a threat. In other words, you don't want to do a bait and switch. You don't want to go there. And then suddenly uh, switch it and take advantage of them because, right. uh, because they're going to feel like you manipulated them. And then you move them to a sane place because what's happened is when you show that you're not a threat and you're not talking too crazy, at that point you're talking with crazy, their oxytocin goes up, you bond with them, and you can walk them to hmm. uh, uh, basically you, what you say to them is given all this has happened, what would be the best result, given that we can't change what's happened? And, and, and let's picture what the best result would be. I love that. Well, and also because it would be easy to just bolt and leave and never talk to that person again. But you still wouldn't know how to do this. You need to learn. This is a skill you need to learn to do. Oh, absolutely. And, and I tell lead Now, a lot of leaders will say, 
I don't want to have to deal with these people. That's why I have HR. That's right. why I have other. And I say, well, you're missing out on an opportunity because the way you deal with difficult people or irrational people, and we all have them, the eyes of the world and your, the eyes of your company are on you. And if you can handle such people with class, you make the company feel safe. But if you avoid it or get defensive, you're triggering a flashback in your people, and they say, God, the boss is just like my dad, or my, <laughs> my mom. I mean, wow. Right. You know, and so it's an opportunity to show poise to your people. And when you're able to do that, your people feel safe. And they feel it's a, a privilege and an honor to be working for you. Mm. And, and I mean, really, that is leadership: is caring enough to stay in the space with somebody um, that is a little irrational, and and but stand your ground with him and not have to fight him. Talk, give us a few more ideas for what else I do to not take to not catch their crazy, to not let my my cortisol take off when theirs is? Well, I'm going to give you a twofer. I'm going to give you a tip, and I'm going to, it's going to help you stay on your diet and uh, stay exercising. Oh, great. So uh, you take out a piece of paper, put a line down the middle of it. On the left side, list all the people that give you energy, that when you are with them, they inspire you. I think we have a relationship like that, Matt. Yeah. And, then, and, then, and those are the kind of people that after you speak with them, you say, you know, I've got to speak to them again, or i got to speak to them after the show, mm-hmm. because they give you energy. Uh, and then on the right side, list all the people that take energy away from you, all the people who act crazy, and make a commitment to yourself to spend as much time with the people on the left and as much time with hmm. people on the right. And the reason this affects diet and exercise is that the more you spend people who uh, upset you and get you stressed out, the more likely you're going to uh, go off a diet or exercise yeah, program yeah. because you just want to sink your teeth into a piece of meat because you can't smash this. Mm-hmm. Well, that's interesting because you went right to your mentors. Like you, you knew Absolutely. instantly that you had these six mentors, and they create a sense, almost a reverence in your heart of goodness. Absolutely, and so, uh, uh, and then the key is, uh, if you make a commitment to maximize your contact with the people on the left. Yeah. Make sure you thank them or thank their next of kin if they've passed away. Mm-hmm. You know, because one of the worst things you can do is get caught up with the people who drive you crazy and neglect thanking the people who make you sane. Yeah, too. That's, that's sad. And, and then what you do is all the people on the right is never expect them not to act that way yeah. in a conversation. And so when you're with them, you say, make a note that at some point in the conversation they're going to act up when they're not getting their way. And when they do that, uh, that's, you hold a little bit of yourself back. And then part of what you do, and a, and a final little uh, a tip that I give people is something that I call the, uh, the FUDO approach, F-U-D-O. And what that stands for is when they act up, uh, let them finish. And FUDO stands for frustrated, upset, disappointed outcome. And so you let them finish. And you could say, you sound frustrated. What's that about? And you use the word frustrated because people will talk about frustration. Sure. If, you say, if you say you sound angry, they feel like you're talking down to them. Right. It triggers them. But everyone will talk about what they're frustrated about. And they say what they're frustrated about. You use these conversation deepeners and say, say more about that. Yeah. Well, really, that gets out of their chest, off their chest. And then you say, you know, you also seem upset by this. What, what are you upset about? Because you really want to get that anger off them. Right. And then you do the same thing. 
And then the final thing before you switch them back to sanity is you can say, you know, if I was you, I'd feel disappointed about something. Uh, and it could be you're disappointed in me. What are you disappointed about? What's that about? Right. And when you get people to that, what you'll notice is they're very calm. Uh, you've leaned into them. Uh, the oxytocin is through the roof. Yeah. And then, and then, and then after they finish that, you can say, you know, given that this has happened, what would be the best outcome now? Yeah. Oh. And how do we make that happen? That's so good. Dr. Mark, we appreciate you. Um, we got we to gotta go, but everybody go look at that book, Talking to Crazy by Dr. Mark Goulston. Go to his website, goulstongroup.com. Great resources. And we'll get that information and post it on our Twitter page um, so that we can, you know, so that you can go figure out the, the, those nine most common MOs that uh, we that come up in our arguments stick with us folks when we come back more with our good buddies from byu sports nation stick with us we'll be right back Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. We're going to shoot it down to our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Who better to share a few minutes with than Spencer Linton and Jerem Jordan? Hello, gentlemen. Hello. Hello. Are you trying to say something with that song? No. We got good blood. You have good blood? Let's talk about Star Wars. No bad blood no. between us. Hey, did you, did, you see the, did you see the trailer? Did I see the trailer? Did it change Jerem your life? I've watched it 71 times. I've literally watched it probably 18 times. Jerem, why? Why not? Well, like, I, I get it. Like, when you're 12 and stuff. I get it. But you're a grown man. You got, you got a child. Dude, being a grown-up stinks. <laughs> Did you pull your toys out? I don't have Star Wars toys. Don't deny. Denial's the first sign that there's a problem. You didn't have Star Denial's Wars toys? also the first sign of truth. <laughs> that you don't have that. <laughs> you I always love that. Like in, like in Scouts, they said, hey, first sign of uh, hypothermia is denial. I was like, it's also the first sign that you don't have hypothermia. Like, That's true. Like, what? It's actually accurate. Yeah. <laughs> no, I really don't have. Oh, yeah. No, yes, you do. So you, you loved the, I mean, the release was a big deal. My kids all stopped everything they were doing to watch it, and one even got chills. Was the window open? Yes, it was. Happened oh, to be open right next gotcha. to it. But it, he really was like, whoa, I just got yeah, the juice Yeah, it was bumps. cool, man. The first, okay. three, the first three, you know, from uh, the most recent ones, they kind of stunk, you know. The yeah. original classics, obviously. Right. It's fun to go back there. And J.J. Uh, Abrams produces really good movies. Did it make you feel Correct, like you were 12 again? Sure. Yeah, adventure and excitement and... Yeah. Yeah, a new, a new chapter, you know. Were you happy when the game came back on or were you disappointed? I didn't watch the game. Oh, you know? Really? I just recorded wow, so I could watch the... So you really are a fanatic. Sure, yeah. I mean, in a good way. I mean, that yeah. fan, sometimes fanatic sounds Yeah, bad. I love Star Wars. It's great. Hey, did you hear about this? the Michigan uh, kicker is having death threats now? Yeah. Yeah, that's an ugly, ugly scene. That's horrible. Right? And there are, there yeah. are a number of like prominent media members that have like taken a stance and said, you need to stop. Yeah. And it's good, and I... And I, you know, would add our voice to that as well. I mean, it's it's terrible. And Boise State's kicker, Kyle Brotsman, I believe was his name, 
who missed a, a big field goal, I think, in 2012. Uh, Boise State was one of the top teams in the country. He missed a, a chip shot field goal, and mm. he received death threats and, you know— it's it's a kick. Suicide recommendations and things oh. like that. And he said that he feels bad for the Michigan punter because he's like, for a couple of years, he's going to be very low. It's oh. going to be very hard for him. How do you, I mean, yeah, how do you stay on the team? Because just because everyone's looking at you, 100,000 fans know your name. You're, it's bad. So you have to get out there, get back on the horse. What's unfortunate is he's a really talented punter and has had a great season. Yeah. You know what? Put he was any at fan State last year here in Utah, by the way. Yeah, I know exactly. But put any fan in that stadium in his same position, they all would have done the same thing. They would have been dead, <laughs> crushed, destroyed. You try the the one thing that he could have done, you know, in hindsight, is just fall on the yeah, ball. yeah, just fall. Yeah, just fall on the ball. Or well, personally, what he should have done is not gone out there in the first place. <laughs> just sit that one out. <laughs> He couldn't. Have, he couldn't have boxed the punt if he hadn't run out there. That's right. Also, Michigan State would have probably had a field goal try for the win, and it would have been bad too. See, yeah, it's, you're gonna yeah, lose it's, anyway. That's bad. I mean, there's a medium where anyone can reach anyone, um, and so it's a public text message. So you're going to get some weird people that don't feel that there are any consequences to that, and there's really not for those people. Let, let's let's get to better news. B- BYU's got a, a game coming up mm-hmm. that should be fun it's on byu tv it's, it's on... the biggest game of the year <laughs> i don't it's think it's our one live game a season oh that's a oh this is the game they gave us we we get uh essentially we get a game it happens to be the worst game every year but we're happy <laughs> to get a game it's a game yes we get a byu football game people watch that no, that's for huge. how long that's up to them now now define worse jerem the worst opponent at home. There you go. We'll see. Wait, that cleaned the it least, up. Yeah. Listen, we're going to make it the best we can. It's going to be fun. People are BYU fans. They'll watch the game. It's on BYU TV. We have our pregame show uh-huh. at 2 Eastern. The game's live at 3 Eastern. How fun. BYU and Wagner. BYU wins. Bowl eligible. Continue. They win every game in October. They pursue getting ranked because they're just two spots out. It, it, um, is it fact, true? We'll talk about that today. Is it true that if BYU loses, it is the end of the world as we know it? To um, Wagner? No. Yeah. Oh, there's there's no if, way BYU loses to Wagner. No, but if they do, like, then, then really— good, it's, They don't have a win against FCS teams, let alone an FBS. But, but if it were to happen that we lost, it would be That's the end. It would be over. It's so ridiculous, I'm not even going to okay. converse about it. Because <laughs> my neighbors were telling me that they've got their storage, their, you know, their food storage. They've got a generator. They're ready to move to the woods because if they lose to BYU—if BYU loses— the world is over. Armageddon. The, yes. Okay. It's not even worth discussing. It's really well, not. I mean, I'm Wagner just trying to is help. not a 6-0 FCS team that's a threat. No, well, They're I know. 0-6 team. I know, but you know, maybe the ball will be deflated. Maybe you know? a volcano will erupt in Lavelle Edwards Stadium. <laughs> that would certainly change things. Are there volcanoes There's a better chance that a volcano will erupt and force the game loses. into cancellation than BYU losing to Wagner. That's oh, probably I, true. You guys, you're you're just there's no line on the game, Matt. Ah, oh, I know, I know, that. but the you're you're scaring me. I'm anytime I see somebody that's this confident. Oh goodness! I mean, it reminds me of like Mitt Romney's election. It's a trap. <laughs> it's a trap. <laughs> okay, apparently that's good. General Akbar will be 
Admiral Akbar. See, I don't know. Yeah. Will be uh, in the new Star Wars. Oh, my heavens. I heard that. This could be fun. Yeah, BYU's not losing to Wagner. Okay, no, I'm good. I'm good. I, I don't believe they're going to. But Do you it really just, think no, there's like a no. remote chance? Well, yes, because I think everything's possible in this world. Have you? I don't know if you've heard about the, the general, the election, the GOP. Donald Trump is leading. <laughs> Do you know how many people have said that's not possible? Well, that's more, that's way more possible than this. He has yes. influence. Like Donald, he also has money Donald and power. Trump, <laughs> Donald Trump is a is a. Uh, Four and two FCS, five and one FCS team. He's Jacksonville State. He's the number he's one ranked FCS State. team. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. If you well. Yeah. Now that you yeah. put it that Trust way. Trust me, though. He's a power five team. Listen, <laughs> Wagner's like Jerem Jordan running for president. Yeah. Like, is it possible? <laughs> uh, I would vote yes, for you, Jerem. No. I would. <laughs> like everyone acts like possible is the same. No. Right. Point exactly. one possible is not the same as ninety percent possible. Right. Right. Yet we. Well, hey, no. So. Okay, and then if it and then if it you know I'm just not ready. What happens? You just say that was the impossible. Okay, I'm not ready for Armageddon. That's all I'm saying. It's not going to happen. Okay, good, good. I'm just going to okay, relax. Mediocre then. movie. I'm going to relax. <laughs> Medi- no, we're not even talking about the movie. Anything else? <laughs> Don't gonna- want to close my eyes. Yeah. <laughs> Anything else going to be on your show today? Yeah, we're going to talk about how BYU can potentially get ranked After despite. Beating Despite playing the winless Wagner Seahawks. There there are a couple compelling reasons to get into this game this week. I know that Wagner's not a compelling opponent. But there's some things going on that are interesting right now. Cool. Including Spencer's shirt, which I just noticed is super fly. I wish I could see it. Can you just describe it? Just give us a little graphic. What is it? It's a a, uh, blue pullover. Mm. Uh, It's like high. It's not a turtleneck. It's it's like button-up, but has a really high collar. Ooh. It's no, very stylish. Ralph Lauren. We should take a wow. picture. Sponsored by Ralph Lauren. Yeah, we'll, we should take a picture. Let's take a picture. We'll put it on Ralph our Twitter Lauren feed. For those that are like interested in the, uh, just in how, what is it? The, what do they call that? The the clothing, the apparel of the Matt Townsend Show. Yeah. Hmm. Brought to you by Brittany Linton. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> Did Brittany pick like it out for you? You are buying this. You're buying this. She's a smart, <laughs> smart, okay. smart woman. Well, guys, sounds like a great show. Go knock them dead. And uh, thank you for clearing up my fears. Hey, you got it, man. Hey, I'm, play some more T-Swift, huh? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, we love T-Swift here. Okay. You, you need to do that again, like you, maybe tomorrow. Tomorrow we'll play, we'll play more T-Swift. Okay. And I have a great story to tell you about T-Swift and how she relates to Tanner Mangum. Oh, excellent. Tomorrow okay. we'll yep, T-Swift tomorrow. you. That's Thanks, guys. Okay. Have a great show. Bye. Bye-bye. Uh, T-Swift, man. Is that what we were playing going in? Yeah. Yeah, that's how little I know about Music. T-Swift. Um, that is crazy about Michigan. Come on. He's just a punter, for heaven's sakes. Uh, little news for you. The Guinness Book of World Records has certified a 400-foot-long baguette baked at the Milan Expo in 2015. The World's Fair there is the longest baguette in the world. Excellent. Thank you. 60 French and Italian bakers worked seven hours. That's about 66 feet per hour, those of you that are counting. And they created the biggest baguette in the world, which they then cut and smeared with Nutella. Mmm. Yummy. And uh, it was certified as a world record holder. By the way, in Massachusetts, there, uh, there's a town there in Massachusetts, uh, Concord, that is um, – oh, Concord, hello. The, the, the cops are ticketing people. 
but they're not ticketing them for doing bad things. The police department says it plans to issue up to 200 citations for good behavior. That could include such things as wearing a bicycle helmet or a seatbelt, yielding to pedestrians at a crosswalk or looking both ways before crossing a street. Police Chief Joseph O'Connor says it's it's a lighthearted way to connect positively with the community. Instead of a fine or a court appearance, these citations can be redeemed for two scoops of ice cream and some Nutella-covered baguette. Uh, That's great. They're giving away gifts of love to make you feel better. Oh, look at me. I'm making people happy. I'm that the really magical is man. Homer from quiet. That's a cool thing for cops. Cops need a better, you know, approach. And this these guys in Concord, they're figuring it out. So hats off to you guys. Well done. To all the ladies and gentlemen of the Concord Police Department. Also, we always like to end you with this with a hero story. Here's our hero story today. Uh Parents of a bride whose fiancé got cold feet. The bride's mother holds a $35,000 wedding reception for the homeless after the groom gets cold feet four days prior. So the groom bows out. The mom doesn't want to waste the $35,000 reception, so she brings in the homeless. Quinn Diane has been engaged for nearly a year and was devastated when her fiancé called off the wedding. But the bride's family decided to make the best out of it. Um... By, you know, inviting the homeless. Instead of canceling the venue and the catering, the family generously invited the city's homeless to enjoy the extravagant meal at Sacramento's four-star citizen hotel. Duane's mother, Carrie, says that even though she feels a lot of heartbreak, she will always take away something good from the experience. The food was originally intended for 120 guests and included steak and salmon. Carrie Duane says that Quinn was known for her generosity. How cool is that, folks? Turning something bad into something good. That's the hero of the day. Congratulations to them. Folks, we're all just humans. We need to be looking out for each other. That's the show. Until tomorrow, we got more ideas. More tools we'll bring you to, to you tomorrow. And until then, watch after each other. Take, out, take care of each other. And uh, make it a great one. We'll talk again tomorrow.